Libby Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Monday. I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Writes Podcast. Packed, packed Monday show for you today. Walden Rodenberg joins. We have our usual Sunday football conversation. Clearly this time a little bit different because Ole Miss didn't play a game this week. But uh, we hit a lot of SEC football uh, today. I had some like Ryder Cup and NFL stuff planned. But honestly, we got so off in the weeds in college football that we didn't end up having time for it. So really detailed discussion of kind of what's going on in the SEC after four games with, of course, a decent bit of Ole Miss Alabama preview at the end, the kind of case for the Rebels to win the game over there, the case for the Rebels to cover what I think opened as like a 17-point spread, and then also we kind of made the case for, you know, what if they're not there yet, what's the case for Alabama, you know, kind of covering what seems to be a very high 17-point spread, but you get the point. Like, what's – I think it's going to be a competitive game. So we got into a little bit of that. We got some more time for that this week. I'm going to have an Alabama guy on and some other different things as we kind of eagerly anticipate what is sure to be a fun game. So anyway, lots of SEC football talk today. And then, of course, the world's fastest growing soccer segment at the end. We got soccer cornerback. Weldon sent me a note late last night afterward that he would uh, he just couldn't really sleep knowing uh, that he – he gave the people false information on soccer. Apparently, Arsenal beat Tottenham. We were talking about the biggest dumpster fires in the English Premier League, and I think he may have gotten that backwards. The rest of the point kind of still stands, uh, but he, he wanted to get the correct information for the people, so he texted me last night. was like, I think we need to make a note of that or edit it. So soccer corner at the very end got into what my Brentford Beads have been doing. Apparently, they scored seven goals in a game. I thought that was pretty good. Apparently, it wasn't an EPL game, some other cup. Well, didn't explain that to me like I'm four. So anyway, tons of football talk, some soccer corner at the end. I may do some Ryder Cup before uh, Wednesday show something uh, or come up with something because I do kind of want to hit on some Ryder Cup stuff. But anyway, before we get to Weldon, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skyblock Sports Picks. Who is Skyblock Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the industry. Not in one NFL week for Skybox this week. They are 19 and 6 uh, year to date against Scott or on the NFL this year. You need to check these guys out. Not sure what you're doing if you're in the wagering game and you're not using Skybox. They were plus 7.8 units on NASCAR this weekend. That seems pretty good. And they are six and one on the Rippy Wright's free play so far. They had three and a week this week. So if you're not tuning into the Friday show, you're missing out on free money. I would recommend just buying the full season package for all sports and cashing in on nine and one and seven and oh weeks like Skybox has had over the last three, two of the last three weeks. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, crushing it on all sports. Use the promo code RIPPY and you get 20% off. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. If you're a RIPPY Right subscriber, rippywrites.substack.com. You get a newsletter three to five times a week from yours truly, and a 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks plus a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your football watching this weekend. Maybe you're going to throw something on the grill, turn on Ole Miss Alabama, uh, definitely probably break out the brown water uh, with that game going on. But check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, all kinds of great sausages, seafood, Lane Train special, Keith Carter special. LB's is the best. Oxford is so lucky to have it. Don't go to Kroger. Don't go to any other butcher shop. LB's is the best way to go. Greg wants to make sure you have a fantastic grilling experience. So check them out. All right, here is Weldon 
Rodenberg on all things SEC with some Ole Miss Alabama preview at the end. On the other end of the line as he is every Sunday night, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg going to bounce around, talk some SEC stuff. Ole Miss was, of course, off this week, so no game to recap. But uh, I know Weldon got to watch a bunch of football this weekend. I was at a wedding in Oxford. First time I'm going to be back to Oxford in a couple months. That was always nice. Um, but watched a decent bit of the early games, most of the afternoon games. Was kind of po- out of pocket during the uh, night stretch. But it seemed like most of the uh, newsworthy action, I would say, for college football happened during the day anyway. So get into that. And then, of course, get into some Ole Miss Alabama prep as this game seemingly uh, inches closer. Feels like we've waited already a long time for it. I'm excited about it. So we'll get into that. What's up, man? Oh, not too much. Yeah, I did get to watch a lot of football, which has been a nice change of pace. I feel like I've been all over the place most of these weekends. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, we're uh, getting very, very close to T-Town time. So that'll be really exciting. Yeah, for sure. I'm kind of in that same boat now. I will be gone next week, this coming weekend. And then I'm actually coming back for Ole Miss Arkansas the following weekend, which I'm excited about. Uh, I'm less excited about a uh, (laughs) – a fall wedding during the Ole Miss Alabama game. Um, close buddy of mine, not going to like put him on blast, but I, it was topical because I heard on the podcast, Chase and Neil this week were uh, debating a wedding. This, I think it got started on the board where it was like an Alabama grad and an Ole Miss grad and they had it, but it wasn't just that there was a wedding. Apparently the bride just basically made it pretty clear that like anyone who tries looking at their phone during this reception will be asked to leave or during the wedding will be asked to leave. That seemed over the top, but uh I'll be watching the game anyway, and so we'll do the post-game show and all that. But uh, fall weddings can sometimes put a uh, put a damper on the football viewing. Yeah, I mean, they can't. I'm, You know, it's hard. You're like, when are you going to do it? You want to mess with everyone's schedule and have it around Christmas time? You want to be that person that has it on New Year's Eve? Like, you know, that kind of selfishness. You know, I guess you can only get married in the spring. I, it's tough. I, I understand, but, you know. It is what it is. It's hard to get around everybody's schedule that you know <laughs> and want to invite. So uh, it, is, it can be tough. Yeah, it is. It's like, I guess my stance is somewhat evolved on fall weddings, particularly this year, because I know the one I'm going to, this is not the case, but a lot of COVID makes up makeups over the last year and a half. So like, you got to get it in when you can get it in. I am generally just would prefer people have weddings in the summer and the winter, but again, like, I get that, like, it's not always going to work out that way. At least, like, right, you pick an away game in a game that you probably, like, going into the year, certainly when they pick the wedding time, not that uh, the bride probably gives a shit about football and, like, uh, when, you know. You never know, though. You never know. Football, a, a team's football season. But you pick an away game in a game they probably didn't think would be necessarily competitive. I mean, how a month ago. I'm not even sure how com- people how competitive people thought this game would be. So I get it. You got to move it around. The uh, the case of the podcast though, um, that Neil and Chase were talking about, the whole don't check your phone, don't look at your phone. That's a little much. Um, I'm not sure what you expect from these people. You went to an SEC school, like come on. And then the other part of that, if you're going to do the fall wedding thing, have some sort of like if it's a team that you're all or your alma mater is playing during it or around it, like. Kind of turn it into a halfway party thing if you can. Television at the reception is always a plus. Don't be like the anti you can't watch anything uh, at all guy. That's a girl or who, whatever the case may be. Right. That's, uh, that's just never a good move. 
No, I mean, you don't get to have that kind of power if you're going to set your wedding in the fall. I mean, I went to one last year. It was um, two Ole Miss people, both from Baton Rouge, went to the same high school as them. They got married on, I guess it was in 2019, on the day that LSU played Oklahoma in the semifinals. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, so that's that one, though, you can't plan, right? You can't plan it, but, you know, these are reasonable people, so when you get to the reception – there's extra TVs brought into the reception to watch Ohio State and Clemson. I mean, it's a big wedding. You can't control everybody. You might as well adapt to it if you know it's coming. You know, you can see it coming a few weeks, a month out or so. So just be, be happy. And it was a blowout anyway, so they weren't really too concerned about the outcome of the game. Yeah, you're dead on with that. Because one, like everyone is going to have, like, if you're very anti, like, no TVs, no one will, like, today's not about football at all type type of attitude to it. Like, you know, people's minds are going to be elsewhere and they're kind of actively not going to be kind of, I guess, fully present because I mean, it's football in the South. Like it is what it is. So I, I would obviously want to take the uh, lean into it mindset. Like you mentioned, reasonable people have the TVs. And the last thing I'll say on this one was like, I've never been to one of these yet. This will be a first for me. And I know the game Ole Miss game won't necessarily be going on like during much of the reception, but I have seen a couple of state people I know over the last year or two, there's been two instances where state played during a couple of weddings that either one of them I was at the other one, I just happened to see across social media, but the wedding was going on kind of during or right before, uh, or excuse me, the game was going on during or right before the wedding. They had TVs there and it looked like an awesome time. I can't remember the occasion, but one of them was like a pretty big state win. And you just kind of see the videos of people happy and celebrating and stuff like the all pseudo wedding reception watch party type of thing is honestly not a bad move. It kind of looks hype. No, yeah. You, you can really format it to where it can add an extra element to your reception. But if that depends if you're that kind of family and you know, that kind of couple and whatnot because it kind of depends on what your feelings and priorities are. But, look, if you're in the SEC in the South, you know, marrying between SEC schools or whatnot, like you have to understand that if you're going to do it in the fall – it is going to be part of your wedding, whether you like it or not. Even if either one of your teams aren't playing, I mean, people are going to be paying attention to it. Maybe, you know, not during the ceremony, but definitely during the reception if it's at a reasonable time, you know, it's going to happen. You can't do anything about it. Agreed. So that was uh, that was uh, marriage counseling corner. I'm sure we're both immensely qualified <laughs> to be offering a ton of wedding advice. So that was probably pretty dynamite. The, uh, it's probably the last wedding talk of the weekend. I did write some just general observations about my time in Oxford this weekend, including uh, I'd forgotten what the chicken on a stick vibe was like at 1230 on a Friday night. Just Really just a, almost an alternate reality walking into that place at 1230 at night. I'll get to that a little bit later, but we will get to some football here first. Let's start with, uh, let's start with uh, just kind of bouncing around the weekend. The most notable, I think, SEC result of the weekend, unless I'm just completely missing something, was, of course, Arkansas A&M. Arkansas jumps on them 17-0 early, kind of salts the game away. Uh, to me, I saw most all of this game. That was – to me, just kind of the quintessential Arkansas win. They're not really overly flashy or do anything overly special offensively, but they play sound football defensively. They got an early lead, hit the big touchdown pass to Burks, and then really just kind of ground A&M into the ground. I, I just like – I don't know, main takeaway from this one was, boy, I don't know how much different it would look with Haynes King, but they would 
presumably have to be better with Haynes King. Zach Calzada wasn't it. What were just kind of a couple of general takeaways from this game that you had? I mean, we can go on both sides. Um, I'll start with A&M because they're the losers. Um, yeah, I think my takeaway is pretty similar to yours. Like, Haynes King, we saw a little bit of him, and he looked, you know, solid. He looked fine. Kent State's okay. But this Calzada guy is just not it. And it just feels like they didn't change any part of their offense or their preparation for this game, you know, knowing that it's Arkansas and they're a very good team. Calzada is all over the place. He's such a robot mechanically. Like, if he's not, you know, feet set, hips set, you know, easy throw, it's just not going to happen for them. And um, their defense played well. They're still a really good defense, but they're not Georgia by any means. They might not even be Alabama defensively. Um, They got a lot of work to do if this is what they're going to do going forward, just the way they run offense with Calzada and Jimbo and just no adjustments, no nothing. It's just – it's a bad look for them. Um, On the winning side, I mean, Arkansas, I think it's been said by so many different people, but just knowing who you are and what you do well is such a benefit for them. I mean, Bryles calls exactly what he needs to call for KJ because – Whatever you think about K.J. Jefferson in Mississippi, like the guy's not an accurate thrower of the football. But he is a really good athlete and can do some things for you that are different than other quarterbacks. Um, defensively, Odom's a stud. I mean, they they play drop three against A&M even if they're in the freaking I formation. I mean, or drop eight, I'm sorry, three defensive linemen. I, I'm not a defensive guru, so I can't tell if it's the exact same thing Ole Miss is doing, but it's incredibly similar. Um, and, I mean, they just pummeled them all day. I mean, offensive line for A&M is talented, you know, recruiting stars-wise. I, I recognize some names out there, and they were just getting manhandled by Arkansas the entire game. Calzada, I mean, they were, they were in second and 12, second and 13, what it felt like the entire game. Uh, couldn't get the running game going, A&M. And Arkansas, when Jefferson went out, Hornsby came in and you know, did the exact same thing that – you know, they do with Jefferson, which is run the ball, kind of get you some play action that you're not going to see it, like a bunch of one receiver routes. It's just they're efficient. They know exactly what they want to do, and they're pretty damn good at it. Uh, What's their ceiling? That's a very different conversation. But right now they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do with maybe the two best wins, you know, in the country as of right now. Yeah, that last part, I think you hit on it, because that was actually a note I had written down. Does anyone have two better wins than Arkansas so far? You know, whatever you think of Texas, you got to look at it from the perspective of, one, we're only four weeks into this thing. So, you know, a lot of teams have gotten at least one of their, you know, quote-unquote cupcakes out of the way. No, Mrs. Case and a couple other cases, too, Alabama as well, which we'll get to in a minute. But, yeah, there's probably no one out there with two more impressive wins that I could think of. Um you know, I guess you could go Notre could Dame, teams. but Florida State turned out yeah. to be terrible, right? Like, I, Wisconsin, I think, would have – you know, they had a shot, I guess, to do it. Pitt, or excuse me, not Wisconsin, Penn State. They beat Auburn and they beat Wisconsin. I guess that would be the other comparable one, but they probably have two better wins. Uh, there's no one out there, I guess I should say, with two better wins. And I, I want to go back to the A&M side for a second because I wanted to ask you a couple of Arkansas questions as well. When we were doing our – so I did a pregame – podcast installment um really not, nothing reinventing the wheel I talked to a beat writer or someone who covers the team for every opponent on Ole Miss's schedule SEC opponent plus Louisville and when we got to the Texas A&M aspect of it of 
I was so basically the way I prep for the show, those shows where I'd spend try to spend an hour and a half to two hours just digging through anything I could find or read on you know the team, whatever team it was, prospects for this coming year and what they did last year. So what were they and what was their outlook going into this year? And when it came down to AM, it was like okay, this defense is really good. There's really no doubt about that, right? You mentioned it. It's not Alabama, it's not Georgia. I think you could make an argument it's been slightly disappointing because the way they were kind of projected, it was like they could be every bit of that, whether that was warranted or not. But what always got me, and I should have pressed the A&M guy I had on this a little bit harder than I did, was they had to replace four or five starters on the offensive line, if I'm not mistaken. And whatever you thought of Kellen Mond as a college quarterback, that guy was a four-year starter and they had a quarterback battle. And yet A&M was talked about like, is this the year they get Alabama? Is this the year that it's a two-horse race in the West? And it, I just felt like that was an incredibly large leap to make when you really had no idea what you were going to have at the most important position on the field and having to replace four of the five guys tasked with protecting him. I just feel like that part of it wasn't covered where we just assume after an 11-1 year, I guess, or excuse me, yeah, I ended up going uh, 10 and 1, 11 and 1, whatever it was with AM, they were just going to do it again. What did you think of AM coming to the year? Did you have a different take? No, my take, I mean, I know this might be bad podcasting and not disagree with you, but my take was very, very similar on them this year. You know, I wasn't as concerned about the offensive line because you just kind of see the guys they've recruited and they have out there. It was a bunch uh, of dudes that had been I in the was like, you know what? Yeah, some guys have been in the program and some young guys who are like, you know, they sh can be playing at this level. Um, my whole thing was King. This whole deal that like Haynes King was going to come in and just like dominate the SEC West or not dominate, but just really be effective and consistent. I just didn't see it. You know, we, we I've watched the guy on film and he was a good, very good high school football player, but this idea that he was going to come in for that team and like that was going to be – the player to get them over the hump, you know, the momentum they needed or whatnot. Uh, I just didn't see it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the hype. They're as talented. They're like one step behind Alabama and Georgia on like every part of the field. You know, they're getting to that recruiting level. They're bringing in those kinds of players, but they're one year behind, one step behind. And they don't have the quarterbacks that Bama and Georgia have. It's like King is not Bryce Young. You know, he's not JT Daniels, even though I'm not that high on JT, but, you know, he's a good college quarterback. And now he's hurt. So now you got the backup in, and they were still a six point favorite on a neutral field against Arkansas. It made absolutely no sense. One of the worst lines the whole weekend was that. That was a classic, you know, I mean, the game's always close, even when Arkansas sucks. So yep. it's just like, what is going on here? They got a lot to do because, I mean, Haynes King, he fractured his ankle, broke it. I mean, he really might not be back until late October. And they've got some, you know, some real teams they've got to play. It's it's tough. I, I don't see this team going that far. And until they can just revolutionize that offense at least a little bit, that ceiling is always going to be cut off at how good is that defense. And that's, you know, I said it about Georgia last weekend, the same kind of thing except for a less talented team overall. Yeah, you nailed it, particularly with that last part where it's like that line was pretty bad. We had two of the, I thought, one of the stranger and worst lines of the year. Was the other one was the Notre Dame being six-point dogs to Wisconsin. That didn't make a ton of sense to me. I get it. Notre Dame was bad against the run, and they, you know, they had a kind of a dogfight with the Florida State team that's just kind of cratering as a program. 
Um, but that one kind of stunk to me as well. But to, to add on to your A&M point, even if Haynes King was like, I don't even know if we know what he is, but even if he was as good as advertised when he did play for the first six quarters of the season, they're both younger dudes that have not played hardly any SEC football. Like Calzada played a little bit, I think, in mop-up duty of Mond a couple of times a season ago. But whatever your doubts were about Mond and his limitations, and I know he was kind of a polarizing guy in terms of like what people thought of him as a both the quality starting quarterback and a, uh, both the, that and a pro prospect, having a guy that's been through the rigors of the SEC three times is pretty rare. Like having a four-year starter, just guy that's kind of been through a lot of wars. I thought even if that kid was good or going to be good and healthy, that would come back to bite them at some point. I think there's immense value in having someone who's been through it and been through the trenches and just kind of knows what to do and is not going to make backbreaking stupid decisions. And that's not been the problem with Calzada so far. I was just kind of talking from an overall outlook perspective of A&M. It's like, they're going to miss that veteran presence, even if the Haynes King kid ends up being pretty good. And like you mentioned, I just never really saw it either. And I don't have like a trained eye like you do, but I tried to go watch as much as stuff as I could find on it when I was both prepping for that show and just kind of out of curiosity, I didn't get it either. I do understand why he won the job because Calzada is not it. He doesn't seem to be a very accurate thrower. He doesn't seem to push the ball downfield very far. And the point I want to kind of kick back to you is that you hit on was until they modernize or revolutionize or whatever you called it with that Texas A&M offense, I'm just not sure like what their actual ceiling is. Like, can you actually compete in the West, like kind of running what they do against Alabama? I know it's kind of a loaded question because again, it's Alabama but it's a lot of running the football and it's a lot of ball control. And even if those kids up front are pretty good, when you have to place for four or five starters, like that doesn't seem like feasible at all. So I just, I don't know. I don't even know what, if I had a question in there, I just like wonder if that was, if Kentucky say had that roster, but with the same quarterback thing, if Kentucky's name was on A&M's helmet or whatever it was going into the year, would we have viewed them the same way? Because I feel like college football, and this gets into another topic of, college football kind of being, I think it's a hard sport to cover at times, largely because there's so many schools, but it can be lazily. Like we, we go into narratives very quickly. There's my favorite word. It took us 20 minutes to bring it up. I just wonder <laughs> if, if A&M, it, like those expectations would be the same if that exact roster was Kentucky's. Does that make any sense? No, it does. Um, this is, A&M is a good football team. You know, they're not bad. I know they've had some weird, uh, I guess, results to say I mean, Colorado wasn't great. You know, that game against Arkansas didn't look good, but they're not bad. And I think we're, we're so easily, we'll just call teams shit, especially yes. in college football. And, you know, some teams deserve it. Some teams don't. A&M doesn't deserve it because that team is still talented. But when it comes to their ceiling, I mean, think about it. Arkansas goes up 17-0 in the first quarter. In my opinion, that game's over. You know, like Calzada, I mean, they haven't stopped him on defense. So, if they're having a bad defensive game, even if King's back there, just the way they run offense, you know, you're not going to be able to score quick enough. And if that was Alabama they were playing, you know, they're not going to have those spell, dry spells like Arkansas had on offense. Where they, I mean, they look like a garbage fire for like two quarters, Arkansas there for a while. If that's Bama, it could be 35 nothing, like in a blink yep. of an eye. If it's, you know, Ole Miss even, it could be really bad in the blink of an eye. And 
when you just have an offense like that, the way they run, and it's not bad. Jimbo Fisher is an incredible coach, very good with quarterbacks, knows exactly what he's doing. But he's just a few years behind offensively. I, 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 Ole Miss is probably not going to win the national championship. They might not even win on Saturday. But if you're a fan of football and you watch what Ole Miss looks like, watch what Oklahoma can look like, watch what Alabama usually looks like, and then you watch your team and they just don't do that, it's like, what are we doing here? You know, like, why are we playing this way? Like, why have we continued to play this way? It's the whole Saban thing. He's adapted completely. And now his offense looks like, you know, other offenses, except for he's got the best players. And when you run it like that, when you go for it on fourth down, when you don't punt on the opposite 50-yard line like some of these teams do, A&M, LSU State, it just is crazy to me that some teams don't look at what the best teams, offensively at least, do and try to semi-mirror it at least. And I've always said that A&M and Georgia – you know, these teams are so talented, but if they're going to keep running that kind of pro style 2013, 2012 kind of offense, they're just not going to be able to compete with the best, in my opinion, at least. No, it's a great point. And I wrote down something you said there in the middle to kind of circle back to when we get to the state LSU game um, about state and adaptation, because that's something we hit on last week. And it's actually a conversation I carried into our Friday podcast when I talked to Borky about adaptation and then a lack thereof. As it pertains to AM, last thing I want to get to on that, just kind of macro before we hit the Arkansas side of it, then hit some of these other games, is some of that – you mentioned Jimbo's a great coach. I don't think anyone would argue that, right? No but one. Isn't yeah. some of that like a little bit of the almost warranted arrogance that comes from, well, I won a national title doing it this way, so I don't understand why seven years later it won't work. But, man, you talk about a sport that rapidly evolves – even at any level, but I think college personifies it better than any other level. Offense and defense is almost – defense is a little bit different. It's almost unrecognizable the way the sport was played seven, eight years ago, ten years ago, whatever. I just think if you're not adapting in this sport of all sports – that was a terrible way to phrase that. In this sport, like out of all of them, adaptation is good in all of them, but it's such a rapidly changing environment in college football. If you're not adapting, you're just getting left behind. And so – some of that's got to be just the arrogance of, I did it this way, I won at the highest level. But he also had Jameis Winston, who, whatever you think of him with the Saints, and I know he throws a bunch of picks, was an incredible college quarterback. He was just yeah. awesome. Oh, well, so I he, just he, wonder he, if some of that is just like, I did it this way, and I'm not going to change. Yeah, I mean, well, Jameis kicked some ass in Foxborough today. So Hell yeah, he, we're going to get to I was going to let you brag on your Saints a bit. We got some NFL to get to also. We'll, we'll get to that later. But um, I think it's incredibly fair to say that it's some, you know, some past arrogance. And, you know, is that earned? Yeah. He's one of, what, three coaches currently that have won a national championship that are active. And there's right. a reason he did it because he's really good at what he does. But like you said, he doesn't have an elite quarterback and he hasn't had one at A&M. So even Kellamon, who was incredibly effective and did what they needed to do, just wasn't going to get you over the hump, especially when you're playing in the SEC compared to what Florida State was dealing with in the ACC. I mean, if you look back at their schedule, I mean, I think they struggled against, like, Wake Forest that year. Yeah. And every other game was – like, genuinely every other game was a blowout. They killed everybody that year. Really, like, literally everybody they played, they dominated except for one game. You're just, it's not going to be that way in the West. It just will not happen for him. And if he doesn't get – I mean, Arkansas, yeah, they're not throwing the ball over the field, but they're offensively, just their concepts, what they're running and everything with Riles, 
is light years ahead of where Jimbo's at with what they're doing. And it showed. That's all. I mean, that team, Arkansas, is not as talented position by position as A&M. But they've got two better coordinators at Arkansas than they do at A&M and a head coach that just lets them do whatever they want to do. And it shows head up neutral field. They kick their ass all over the field. And until he adapts and realizes, damn, I can't just, you know, run power and counter out under the gun or under the center all day long, then they're not going to get to where they need to go. And the fans, God, those fans are going to be pissed after a while. That's a great segue into the Arkansas side of it. Cause that's kind of how I wanted to set up this conversation was something that you said that kind of stuck with me a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, it was like, I don't think Arkansas has the horses from a talent perspective to like compete in some of these games. And honest to God, I would have, when you said that, like I want, I agreed too. like, we probably would have included this A&M game in that right at the beginning of the year where it's like, they probably won't win that game because they just don't have the talent, but they're very well coached. It, it turns out, you know, Maybe some of these guys, you know, recruiting rankings and stars be damned, have developed into, you know, better players than maybe we're giving them credit for. It's still very early in the year, so I'd kind of like to see it play out. But, man, are they well coached. And do they have – are there two better coordinators in the country? I made this point with Borky on Friday with the Matt Luke thing and all those articles that were written about, oh, he's hired Rich Rodriguez, he's hired Mike McIntyre, like – he knows what he is and he's going to let those the classic CEO of the program story, right? No, it was esque you know? Yes. That's a better example. Isn't Sam Pittman, what all those articles, like, like that's what they wish LSU was. That's what you kind of wished Matt Luke was that year. He's actually that. Do they, are there two better coordinators in the country? Not, not as a pair. No. Yeah. As a pair. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Correct. You know, when Ozron had Aranda and Brady, that was the same deal, except for they had way more talent than Arkansas right. right now. So there's a little, you know, asterisk to that. Um, but it's, you know, I, you don't always want to go back to Matt Luke, but he went one for two on his hires, and the one on offense cost him his job. If he had hired, let's say, Jeff Levy and had McIntyre, He's still your coach right now, and I know no one wants to hear that, but that's just the right. of the situation. So Pittman gets that job, goes two for two on his coordinator hires, lets him do exactly what they want to do, and in two years, they're a top ten team. You know, I, would Ole Miss would have done that? I don't know. That's impossible to say. But, I mean, that's this is the dream of what you want if you can hire a guy like Pittman who can just recruit and, you know, get everything else out of the way and let these guys do what they do. But the next thing is, and it's one thing Ogeron has failed at to a hilarious level, is these guys are going to get another job. Odom and Bryles. Bryles is going to be tough with that last name, unfortunately, which is really not fair to him at all. But Odom's going to get a head coaching job somewhere, probably after this season, somewhere. I don't know where it's going to be. And Bryles, he might get one too. So is Pittman going to go two for two again? That's that's where this thing can unravel, is if you don't have a guy as a coach that has the, you know, either you know, defensive specialist, offensive specialist, blah, 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 special teams, who knows. But that's kind of where it unravels when this CEO approach comes to, you know, push comes to shove. But right now you can't be happier if you're Arkansas. I mean, they literally are top ten after being maybe the worst team ever in the SEC besides Vanderbilt this year. And, I mean, it's good to be them for right now, at least. Yeah, no kidding. I think you're right. Borky kind of hit at that a little bit Friday, too, where it, it shows how quickly, like, 
things can change in this league and we're almost like looking for change before it happens, but it's exactly right. It's like when he does lose one or both of those guys, it's like, can he do this again? So you, you, like you mentioned, there's a shelf life to it. You're seeing it play out at LSU right now, right? I mean, we talked about how horrendous the Bo Pelini hire was. And just because they won a national title, it was like, eh, it'll probably work out. And it's like, actually, no, it will not. It was <laughs> as big of a disaster. No. Like he let KJ Costello set a school record. I mean, that's really all you probably needed to know about the guy. And so I, there is probably a shelf life for it. But like you mentioned now, they're really good and they're really well coached. And this is a very basic observation, but I'm just curious from what you saw from them this year and just Saturday in general. Defensively, you know, they got a couple of pretty good linebackers. Their defensive front seems pretty good. And honest to God, I haven't seen enough Arkansas to know what their secondary actually is. But one of the things I noticed – whether it was the run game, I noticed on a couple of plays where they were trying to get the ball to Spiller out of the backfield, that being A&M, whatever kind of like scheme or whatever plays it was, like he would make a guy miss, but there were two guys right behind him every single time to bottle him up. And I guess what I'm trying to get is that speaks to the fact that it seems like they do exactly what they're supposed to do on every play. Like they seem very screwed down and very disciplined on every single play. And you rarely see – a gaff, or at least you haven't seen it through four games this year where they're just incredibly out of position and the one goes for 80 yards for a touchdown or something. They just seem very screwed down defensively. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they run a lot of complicated stuff. I just think what they do and they call, they, they execute it to perfection. And I, I don't know a lot of the, you know, personnel like name by name guys, but one of my favorite players to watch for them is, is Catalan, the safety nickel guy they've got back there. He is just a, a just an engine for that team he is all over the place he hits the shit out of people he's great in pass defense he's kind of captaining up what they do there he is awesome and he kind of you know sets the tone for that team and they just play their ass off and they're always in position they're getting pressure with three guys against AM's five it felt like the entire game I mean, those, the tackles one-on-one against the – I mean, it was just unbelievable that they were getting pressure like they did. It's something that I've had a big concern about with Ole Miss is, like, can they do that against a real offensive line? Well, Arkansas showed you they, can, they, they did it. They did it just uh, this past weekend. And, I mean, they're just tough, man. I don't know what their ceiling is. You know, they've got a, a dog fight ahead of them on Saturday. But at, at right now, you just, you just can't be mad at them. <laughs> you have to be excited if you're a fan of that team and – they're fun to watch, and they're really, really good, really, really tight, tightened up. And I guess we'll see where this can go. I don't, I don't like their odds on Saturday, to be honest. But it's not like Georgia's going to light up the the world on offense. So if they can get a few stops, Jefferson's semi healthy, then maybe they'll be in a decent position. And them offensively, like you mentioned, they kind of look like a dumpster fire for two quarters, and they're not asking him to do much. I know Jefferson got hurt, but he finishes seven of fifteen for two twelve. That's 46.7 completion percentage. And 80 of that came on the pass to Burke. So, and I hate doing this, but like just for the sake of the point, if you take that out, what? He's 6 of 14 for 140. And again, I know he got hurt and missed some time, but it's the same thing in other ones. He's hadn't thrown the ball 25 times in a game yet. He's gone 13, 23, 14, and 19 in the win over Texas, which he only had 138 yards, which probably speaks to this like more so than even that game did. And then what? He was 12 of 21 against Rice. They're not asking him to do a lot, but they run the ball really well. And they're kind of the antithesis of Ole Miss in some senses to where it's like 
can you get me 25 points? Because I think the defense could probably take it away from there, at least you hope. You know, are you going to beat everyone in the country doing that? No, because the way football has gone, particularly at the college level, like it seems like defense gets you a seat at the table, but it doesn't necessarily win a national title anymore. Um, you know, the old Bama teams, that Bama LSU title game, like those days seem to be kind of long behind us. But I, I don't know. I don't know what their ceiling is either. But just what do you see from them offensively? They seem to be effective enough running the ball. But honestly, this is weird to say. They seem rather unimpressive offensively. Like it, to they me, it's all about the defense, which is weird to say about a team that's four and zero that scored forty points twice. No, yeah, th- this is all about the defense with this team. The offense, they they run a bunch of you know, they run a bunch of run plays out of a bunch of different formations. They get Jefferson outside of the pocket with some easy throws. Um, you know, they got decent tight end play. They've got actually some pretty good receivers. Burks is a kid that we wanted badly when we were when I was working for the team and he just really showed no interest he just was always going to Arkansas um but that's my whole conversation about the ceiling of this team is that Jefferson is just not that good he really isn't you know it's there's no way around it you know that's not just a biased opinion he just doesn't throw the ball very well but Bryles has done a ridiculous job of getting him in positions to be successful so it's moved them further up the totem pole than they probably should be at. And if he's injured, they got Hornsby behind him, who's a freak athlete, you know, four by 100 state champion. I think they set those Texas record um, in the four by one over at Fort Ben Marshall. Uh, but he's no better throwing the ball than Jefferson is. So it's, it's like you just said, it's the opposite of Ole Miss. It's can we put up 21 to 24 points and then just cross our fingers that our defense plays their ass off. And I, that's why I'm so concerned about the ceiling of this team because I just don't think they can win 10 games like that. And I don't see it happening. They've still got a lot of really good teams on that schedule. Uh, but like I've always said, that that's not the point for every team. You know, they're in a position now they can compete in the West, but the odds of them actually doing it, probably not going to happen with that quarterback play. Agree. And their schedule this year from a road game perspective is brutal. Their four SEC road games are Georgia, which they get next week at Ole Miss. So they go back to back. Then they come home for, you know, pretty much almost a month. But then they go at LSU at Alabama before coming home to Missouri to finish the year. That's tough. And like you mentioned, I know it's not the greatest example in the world, but like I do wonder if you can beat a team like Ole Miss playing the way they do, because even if your defense is good, like, to me, the way Ole Miss has run, you know, the way they're playing offense is, like, if your defense holds them to 30 or under and, like, under 450 yards of offense, like, that's pretty damn good. Like, you gave yourself a shot. So, I just wonder, like, what, like you mentioned, what their ceiling is playing this style of football. But when you, you know, come up with the team in similar – or come against a team in similar talent, maybe a little bit behind scheme-wise, like we outlined with A&M, who's not overly dynamic offensively, you're probably going to beat them because you're just going to kind of kick their ass and then out scheme them. So I think that's what happened in this game. The early game of the morning was Mississippi State and LSU. And I was fascinated by this game for so many different reasons. And it was an interesting game for those same reasons, but I'm not sure any of them were good if you're a fan of either (laughs) team, right? Like it was an interesting game from like a, holy shit, this could be a train wreck that you can't keep your eyes off of type of thing. I watched a decent bit of this. It's one of the classic, like, no sound setups, but I was trying to stay as engaged as I could. I didn't leave overly impressed with LSU in this game. Again, to me, this was more about State just having a bunch of hollow, empty yardage and 
the lack of adjustments, like this doesn't work. The teams run the same defenses against them. And then, you know, when you get in the red zone, my God, are they bad in the red zone? Because there's only so much you can do. If you can't run the football, you're not going to be a good red zone team. Like you can't do the whole air raid deal when the field's that shorter or that short, in my opinion. What did you see from this game? It played out basically like I thought it would go. But to me, this was more about state than LSU. I would tend to agree. Um, LSU won the football game, and some of the coaching decisions just throughout the game were just embarrassingly bad. I mean, they're punting the ball on the opposite side of the 50, like fourth and one. I, it just was bad. They did a bunch of bad, bad management. Um, but LSU does show they have some young bucks that can really play. Uh, Jack Besh is a freshman. He's a stud. Deion Smith from Jackson's a stud. Kayshawn Boots, a sophomore. He's a stud. And at the end of the day, those guys made plays and won the game for him. Um, the defense played much better. Um, Mississippi State, though, they came out the gates running the football, and they did it, like, incredibly effectively throughout the first two quarters. Uh, Will Rogers what, threw a terrible interception to kind of ruin some momentum for them. And then Marks got hurt, and they just said, screw it. We're not, we're not going to give it to our backup running back. We're just going to do what we do. And, you know, to their credit, they came back. You know, LSU was playing what they do, and they kind of made some plays towards the end of the game. You know, they ended up missing a field goal, which ended up costing the game because it would have been tied. Um, they had a just awful special teams penalty, which you just can't do. Like, you have to know the rules. And then people, I'm sure people are complaining about it, but you cannot leap over the shield on a punt. You know, your, your special teams coach should tell you that. So that gave LSU – they scored in literally the next play when these two guys ran into each other. Um, State's a bad football team. You know, they, they don't have the dogs to play the way they want to play. The defense is it, – it's actually pretty good, but it's not going to be good enough in this league, especially if your offense is as just stagnant and basic and boring as they are. Uh, they're, they're in a load of trouble this year. Will Rogers has just zero zip on the ball. If they had a quarterback that could, like, really threaten you downfield and make some throws, like, I think this team would be a lot better. Will Rogers is holding them back dramatically, as, as well as that offensive line. I mean, we could go through the holes of that team, but it was not impressive. Um, yeah, it's bad. They're not very good. Yeah, <laughs> You know, honestly, sometimes the most simple analysis is the best one, right? Right. There's just not good. Like, yeah, and so the it's interesting to me because you mentioned like the do what we do aspect of it. That's probably what's going to ultimately be Leach's downfall. There's a million different angles we could go with this, but reading, I'm not a huge message board guy. I'm really not, but I still have a 247 account. And sometimes I just like to go on there. I don't like get off in the weeds on really even our own board, uh, the Rebel Grove board, like in the threads. But I do think sometimes like to kind of gauge the temperature of a fan base or even some people that cover the team, sometimes like reading the topics that are on a board right after a loss or maybe a day after because it can get kind of out of control right after a loss are kind of interesting to me because they sometimes are indicative of, you know, the actual questions surrounding the team. And I guess where I'm going with that is this was another game where if you look at the stat sheet, it's kind of like, why didn't State win this game? I mean, State ends up with, what, 486 yards of offense to LSU's 343. State was 12 of 18 on third down. LSU was 5 of 13. 
State ran the ball for 115 yards. Like, okay, not terrible. But LSU only ran the ball for 63. And I think you knew that was going to be the case. LSU hasn't run the football against anyone, Central Michigan included. 280, uh, 280 yards for Max Johnson, 17 to 27. Pretty efficient. Thought he looked pretty good. He threw four touchdowns. But it's like, yeah. why is this game – and, again, final score was kind of deceiving too, right? Because that's 28-10 late in the third quarter. And, you know, credit state to coming back, but – there's a different mentality you play with defensively when you have that, you know, that type of lead later in games. And so I just, to me with this air raid thing, you can't look at basic statistics at all. The thing that tells the story are the numbers about Rogers, not throwing the football down the field. It's the red zone numbers. It's the sheer lack of the sheer inability or unwillingness to run the ball when you need to, you mentioned they did it early in the game. Marsh gets hurt. They just stopped doing it. This whole do what we do thing, because this is the air raid and this is how he's always done it. I just don't know if that's going to work in this league. And so I just – the question I would pose to you is, do you think it changes when he gets the guys in there? Like, if they had a competent quarterback – let's just say the Sawyer Robertson kid pans out. That was a big get for them, right? To say that pans out, do you think this is any different? Because I'm not sure the ceiling is any different. And I still think the floor is kind of shitty. Like, in this league, because I think the speed is different. There's better players. The discrepancy in talent between the SEC and other conferences – is as, as big as it's ever been. Kiffin talked about this last week, right? Kids from California, I know Florida has always been this way, but like Miami area, places like that are leaving to come play in the SEC at rates you haven't seen really ever. Do you think this will work when the horses get in there, or do you think it'll be a flop? I think it could work if the horses are Okay, that's interesting. I was kind of guess you'd say no. But work but it depends on what your definition of successful and working is. You know, I don't think this team with that, you know, the way that their talent's going to be set up in Mississippi State, which is going to be on the lower half of the West, really the lower half of the whole conference, um, plus just the scheme itself, I don't see them getting to, like, consistently winning nine or ten games, even if they have some of the better players that they've had at that university, you know, in the past – the Sawyer Robertson kid is—he's a really good player. He was a, loved his film coming out, like the perfect quarterback for them. So next year when he gets in there, I think they could be better. I really do, but they'll probably lose guys on defense. Yep. You know, the Emerson kid will probably be gone to the pros. The Brule kid, who's the captain, I think he'll be gone after this year. Nathan Pickering will be gone. Charles Cross will be gone. So they're just going to lose talent. They're not going to be able to fill it back up at that team. So I just don't see it working long-term. I think it could, but just at where they're at with the players they have and are going to have in the future, I just don't know what the ceiling is of that program. And the floor, like you said, is low, just with talent-wise. It's going to be really low. What do you make of the ta- the part about, like, the – you know, this was always what – like, you see, this is a common talking point against just kind of your av- – like, amongst your average fan as well as the – the air raid won't work in this league because of the speed and the defense is being better. How much stock do you put in that take? Because obviously, you know, the talent discrepancy and recruiting footprint, all that better than just about anybody. Do you buy into that at all? Or do you think that's a little overrated? Um, I buy into it to an extent. Um, I think it's pretty well documented that to stop Mike Leach, you drop eight and you accept what's going on. I mean, that's just what you do to win the football games. So, yeah, like, can he, you know, pull out, pull out a few wins out of his ass here and there just because some defensive guys miscue some assignments and whatnot? Yeah. 
but the idea that his system is going to just consistently work in this league, I do not agree with. Can it work? Yes. But like I said earlier, what's the definition of success with, with Mississippi State and this scheme? Um, I, I just don't see it being viable long-term. Maybe the if other like, aspect of it is, before we kind of get to the LSU side, is you mentioned the lack of adjustments, and I think that's the big theme centering around this team. The Jaden Wally kid, any of the kid that had the long return that kind of sparked them against La Tech or whatever, he's fast, and he seems like a really electric player, and he didn't touch the ball against A&M, excuse me, against Memphis, and then touched it twice against the LSU game. Like, right. you talk about big adaptation in terms of changing your scheme and all that with, uh, with Jimbo Fisher, but with Mike Leach, He's not doing anything to fit his players' strengths at all. It's just kind of like I keep saying it. We do what we do. That has to be maddening to watch. And to me, that's the kind of shit that makes your lease shorter. I just – like, I don't even know if I have a question in that. Like, I, I just – I don't understand not tailoring what you do to your opponent's skill sets at all – or excuse me, your personnel skill sets at all. And that's what I wanted to bring up earlier when you talk about the adjustments – do you think, again, whether people want to admit it or not, the Ole Miss and State and their collect success and mirroring each other matters in this state, whether you want to admit it or not? And do you think Leach's leash, that's a tongue twister, gets shorter because you have the exact opposite going on on the other side of the state? Is there anyone better in the country at tailoring what they do to the, what they have on the field? than Kiffin and Levy right now from an offensive standpoint. I just wonder if that ends up factoring into the patience level with Leach because he's doing nothing to fit his personnel skill sets where as Kiffin and Levy have turned a, a good, decently talented offense into a absolute machine. Yeah. I mean, the dynamics of the in-state schools is not something I'm, you know, too privy to because I didn't grow up in it, but it seems pretty much verified that they fired Joe Moorhead because Ole Miss hired Lane Kiffin. I mean, I know they had some internal problems and, you know, their linebacker punched their starting quarterback or whatever. It wasn't disciplined. Yeah, no, nothing happened. But uh, they clearly did that as a, you know, look what we can do, look what you can do, anything you can do, we can do better. And they they picked the wrong horse, basically. I think they uh, – they went way too outside of that comfort zone. Mike Leach, he is not going to bring in SEC assistants. He's going to bring his guys, and they're going to do their thing the way they do it. And it's just – it could not have been a worse culture fit for Mississippi State because those guys, you have to develop talent there. You have to, you know, get the best out of the guys you have. And, you know, those few, or four, those few and far between elite guys you get year after year, I mean, it – you just have to make the most of it. And this, in this offense, they don't, I mean, they've got two Lou Griffin and Wally who are two really dynamic, talented slot receivers that just don't ever see the ball because they're too busy dumping it down to the running backs. It just doesn't make any sense. Whereas Levy and Kiffin, they're just using everybody to the best of their abilities, every single play. I mean, they're just getting the most out of the players. Whereas Mississippi state is getting the most out of the system. That, that's it. And it's just his leash, the leash leash, um, <laughs> it's got to be short. But how short can it be? You know? Right, because it's the and other it's aspect like, of it. If you have to give the thing time to work, that was the whole message when they hired him, right? Right. So now that it's not going to work and, you know, your science experiment's failing, 
are you really going to fire him? Because then nobody will take your job if you fire him after this year, because that just proves that you just have no idea what you're doing. You're zero job security going to Mississippi State. Plus, the only advantage you have was that, you know, the other team was Ole Miss in your state. <laughs> That's the only advantage you have in state. Uh, that's kind of gone right now because Ole Miss is actually good and you suck. Like, it's just (laughs) – that's not always the case. It's usually – it's the one-eyed king of the blind, whichever year it is. It might be state, it might be Ole Miss. But you get too far behind in that state, which should be pretty 50-50 at all times. I mean, you are in deep shit. Deep. deep Yeah, and the last thing I'll add on that because I want to get to the LSU side and bounce around some of these other games is, like, to add on to your point – I brought this up with Borky the other night. I know it's October or September, excuse me. I don't know where my brain is today. We're almost October. Um, Out of the top 10 kids in 247's rankings right now, and I know it's not a perfect system, but it's generally a pretty decent indicator, zero are committed to Mississippi State. Three or four out-of-state kids and, like, five coming to Ole Miss. I understand the air raid deal, they recruit differently, but – I mean, State's always kind of made their hay off of these in-state kids. And, you know, when Mullen was here, they seemed to do better than Ole Miss in a lot of years with the in-state kids. Um, I'm going to say zero of the top ten kids committed to your program, depending on where Stone Blanton ends up. That doesn't seem great. Like, that, yeah, that let, seems like an issue. Yeah, let me look at this. because I mean, I've obviously watched and recruited some of these guys. Yeah, Robinson, he was never going to Mississippi State. because I always heard back. he was just out of state. Is that the running back? Yeah, so I actually kind of found this kid. Um, we watched him first, and he uh, only played like two games his sophomore year, but had five touchdowns. Um, just didn't have enough. But, yeah, he's an absolute monster. He's a baby Nick Chubb. Uh, Otis, who knows what that kid will end up doing. I'm sure he'll probably stick with Alabama if he's smart. Um, Rogers, I think he just tore his ACL. I think his dad's a big proponent of whatever's going on. He's a pretty good player, but – I think it was more between Ole Miss and Miami. Xavier Harris, I'm sure that'll go down to the wire, but he's at Ole Miss. Dorch, George County, Ole Miss. This kid's committed to Florida State. I don't remember him. I'm sure that won't last much longer. Blanton, he's committed to State and baseball, but it sounds like he might be going to Ole Miss. I don't follow – like, precursor, I do not follow this stuff anymore. It just does not matter that much to me. I don't follow it. I don't care. But I do remember a lot of these names. Hurst, Ole Miss, we got him out of a state stronghold. Aaron Bryant, Texas, which is crazy. The only one they've got in the top ten is the brother of a kid they've already got on the team. <laughs> you know, right. like it doesn't that barely even counts. And then, you know, Simmons is a player they want, didn't get him. I honestly have no idea who Khalid Moore is. Jacorius Clayton from Tupelo was committed to them and flipped. Uh, I mean, it's just they just aren't getting that many guys. Dakota Jordan was already committed to them in baseball, so that barely counts. Um, I mean, it's just – God, it's just not impressive. And I haven't looked at their whole class, but I've never really been impressed with how they've evaluated. Even when Moorhead was there, I thought they reached a lot. And, you know, I just – they're not going to have the horses to make that work. Anything change about your opinion of LSU in this game? The biggest thing I took away is – one, when they play good teams, the fact that they can't run the football is going to really come back to bite them. But two, I guess to offer a positive aspect of it, that Max Johnson seems to be kind of getting more comfortable, a little more confident. Wasn't unworldly in this game, but I thought he was pretty good and pretty efficient throughout. I don't really know. Like, this OSU thing is so interesting to me because it's going to be week by week, right? Like, if they let Auburn come in there and beat them next weekend for the first time and 
like since like you know Auburn had one down there since like '99 or something crazy. Like then everyone will want to fire him again. Like I don't really know what to make of it, but I'll just throw it open like open ended one to you. Like did anything change about LSU? What impressed you about Saturday? We'll go with the positives first. I thought Johnson played pretty well. Um, he still has really bad feet in the pocket, but I think a lot of that might not totally be his fault because that offensive line is really, really, really bad. It's very, very bad. Um, the guys on the outside are still studs. Boutte, the freshman Johnson, the freshman Besh, and Deion Smith, uh, they're all still really good. That's, that has not changed. Um, defensively, I thought they played pretty sound. You know, the only touchdowns I gave up were late when it was, you know, like you said, the mindset's a little bit different. Um, they're, they're really quick out there. They, uh, they're, they're a perfect, you know, built team to play against Mississippi State where you don't have to cover man-to-man. You can just rally with athleticism and make plays. And that's what they did the entire game. No one told Bo Pelini that, though, but your point is No, no. God, hey, that was awful. Uh, but – the negatives are this team cannot run the football. They can't do it. The offensive line is terrible. The running backs are young. Kiner and Goodwin are just really, really young. You know, if they're freshman running backs that you're just counting on because your starter is academically ineligible, your other starter is just fat and slow these days, TD Price. Um, I mean, that's just the reality that, I mean, they're banking on a bad offensive line and two freshman running backs to be successful. Uh, I, I just think – I think Ogeron, some of his coaching decisions when it comes to fourth down and what they should do are just terrible. I mean, it's really embarrassing. I mean, I just cannot watch them and be like, what are you doing? You know, why are you punting it on the, on the plus side of the field? You know, just put the gas on them. I guess they can't run the ball, so it makes sense you don't go for it on fourth and one, but I don't know. Um, I think the two coordinators are kind of settling in. I think the defense played much better. I think the offense was run much better. But then really when you think about it and you look into it more, let me look at the touchdowns. The Kayshawn boot, it was a great play, explosive play touchdown. Their second touchdown to Trey Palmer was a complete coverage breakdown. Then their third touchdown to Cole Taylor was after the crazy penalty. And then the two Mississippi State guys run into each other and he just walks into the end zone. So I mean, that's three of their four touchdowns were just either out of kind of luck or explosive plays. And I think that's why the numbers look so skewed. I mean, they couldn't get a fair – I mean, what they, five of 12 on third downs? They're five of 13? I mean, it's just – they're not very good. They're not very good at all. And I just don't think anything about this game has changed my season view perspective of what they can be. They still have talent, and they showed it in this game, but they're just not that good of a football team. Really, in any phase, they're just very, very average. Yeah, and I'm curious. Like, honestly, the most fun game to play with this LSU aspect of it is, like, when does this go off the rails? Because, you know, there was some chatter. I don't know how realistic it was, but just amongst, like, the common man, and I just mean that being the fan, like, do they fire him on Sunday if they lost this game? And, you know, he comes out with a win, but, like, you, know, you lose to Auburn with a road trip to Kentucky and Florida in between. Is that where it starts? And then Ole Miss and Alabama after that? Like, I guess that could be where it starts, right? You lose to Auburn, you go at Kentucky, home for Florida, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. Um, is there a win in there if you can't beat this version of the Auburn team, which we're about to get to in a second? Like, you know, he had to win this to avoid – to, I guess, prolong 
or uh, kind of put off the disaster coming, but they could still get tricky over this next five weeks for them. That's not a friendly stretch of games. Yeah, I mean, they're about to have the uh, former LSU quarterback bowl there because T.J. Finley, I mean, he might be the starter going into Tiger Stadium next weekend. And, you know, he transferred from LSU last year, and that'll be a, a fun storyline at 8 o'clock at night in Death Valley, um, those two teams. I have a family friend that talked to some people that said that Ogeron's done no matter what. Interesting. Uh, someone that, like, knows exactly what he's talking about said he's done no matter what. Will that come to be true? Who knows? It's probably a really a straw man's argument because if he loses like three games in a row, yeah, he's done. <laughs> and if he doesn't, if he goes 11 and one or whatever, you know, it's going to be really tough to fire him. But this is someone that knows exactly what they're talking about more than anybody else. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Uh, I don't see a lot of wins on the rest of their roster. I mean, the rest of their schedule. Yeah, they can probably go beat Kentucky, but that's no guarantee, even though Kentucky is definitely not looked as good as I thought they would. Um, Auburn's no guarantee. Ole Miss most certainly is not a guarantee. Then you've got Arkansas and Alabama and A&M. It's just not a lot of wins that I see, especially after they look Saturday. I mean, they're not getting that much better. It's going to be a tough, tough future for them. Yeah, if you can't run the football, playing a team like Ole Miss, you're kind of screwed because that's the one way you can kind of – presumably, we'll see after this Saturday, you know, really popped them defensively and they just don't do it. The, I watched the game Saturday with the LSU grad because a lot of the people well, – a lot of the people that we were with are actually from Louisiana. This guy was from Lafayette. But he was uh, – he was keeping track of how many times they show Edwards run on the sideline – with his microphone up, so upright, not talking into it. He's not a believer in the CEO of the program thing. He is big into the fact that he doesn't do anything. And every time they showed him when Ed didn't have his microphone on talking to him, he was just beside himself. He, he claims 80% of the game because he used it. I got a good kick out of that. But uh, transitioning to Auburn, uh, boy, what a weird-ass game this was. So, Bo, I, how many, where do you want to start here? Bo Nix gets benched. Mark Curls' crew, the crew that screwed up the state thing last week, screws this one up with the review thing. A seemingly bad Georgia State team comes in, and you could argue probably should have beaten them after everyone was kind of high on Auburn after, you know, what was quote-unquote a decent loss. Like, they looked okay on the road at Penn State. And uh, the biggest power move of the evening was, I don't know if you saw this afterward, uh, Sean Elliott, the head coach at Georgia State, minced no words after the game. He basically was like, yeah, SEC refs took care of business. They gave, uh, you know, they made sure Auburn was not going to come out with a loss, uh, which, you know, just to hear a coach kind of be honest and say what we, you know, in past situations, nice. we all know what they're thinking is dynamite. I just love it when we get a smidgen of that. I, I guess the best way to start is the quarterback situation. Bo Nix gets benched. You know, T.J. Finley comes in, and whatever you think of how he played, and I didn't see a ton of this game, he leads a 98-yard touchdown drive to win the game for him in what was, I believe, their first offensive touchdown of the night. What do you think's happening with this quarterback situation? Because um, clearly Bo Nix, like, we kind of knew what he was, right? Like you talked about last week. He is what he is away from home, particularly at this point. Do you just pull the plug on it? Like, does, like to me, he ends up in a, you know, a – a non-power five school or a lower end power five school somewhere else next year, but maybe I'm jumping me to conclusions. How do you see this quarterback thing playing out for them? I mean, it would be tough to roll him back out there on the road again, 
especially after what happened last week. I mean, before the season started, I think I even said on this podcast, I wouldn't be surprised if TJ Finley started. That didn't happen, but I'm not shocked that it's come to this, to be honest. Finley's really talented. You know, he just didn't work out at LSU for whatever reason, but kid has a load of art talent. Maybe the strongest arm on film I'd ever watched of any high school group. Truly was baby Jamarcus Russell. Just wasn't overly accurate. As a true freshman, remember, <laughs> it happens. It takes some time. And, I mean, if this kid can ring it in, play within himself, he can be a very, very good player. You, I just don't see how you can roll Bo Nix out there again. You have so much, so much data on him, so many minutes, so many snaps, so many plays. You know exactly what he is. And it's very average. You know, the five-star, it's over now. It's, you're a senior, junior, whatever you are now is what you are. And he's just not very good. If they roll him out against LSU, like, you have to question Harson. I mean, you got to be like, what are, you, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? I mean, Finley brought some life to your team that you haven't had against a team with a pulse all season, you know. So I, I see him being the starter going forward, and I think they'll probably be a better team for it. Are they still that good? No. But I think that's the way they have to go. I wanted to throw – because the game kind of is what it was, and we can get to that in just a second in terms of the result and what we think of Auburn. As it pertains to their quarterback situation, I want to throw a couple of recruiting questions at you. We'll start with Nick's because you brought up the interesting point of, the, you know, the five-star thing is kind of over now. Look, generally, I know you – like you guys that worked in it kind of viewed the whole recruiting ranking system, you know, differently – than say someone who like worked in my job did media wise, because we don't have to, like our jobs are not on the line in terms of like evaluating players and finding good players. So I could see why you would disagree more. Like, whereas I look at it and we look at it in the media of like, you know, this is generally a pretty damn good indicator of like how you're going to be as a program, right? Like the blue chip kids that you have on these sites, the more you get, the better your program's going to be. But the five-star aspect of things to me, and again, disagree agree like feel free to go whichever direction you want on this obviously you see a five-star defensive lineman that kid's probably going to end up being pretty good you see a five-star running backs like that kid's probably going to end up being pretty good most of the time quarterbacks probably ends up being pretty good but to me with the five-star four five-star thing it has the highest variance in terms of like flop rates with quarterbacks i think a shea patterson just never turned out bo nicks i'm sure there's a couple other through the years do you think that's kind of the most inact? Like when we're talking about four, five stars and highly rated four star kids, do you think that's where we see the most inaccuracies? Because it's just hard to recruit kids or evaluate kids like that playing with high school talent and against high school talent. Yeah, I mean, quarterback is not not necessarily with the stars on other positions, but quarterback specifically is definitely the most difficult to to figure out. I mean, because there's so many different aspects to it. Some of, these key, some of these kids are camp warriors where they go out there and seven on seven and just dominate because there's no pressure, no helmets, no nothing. And it's tough to evaluate. Like you see the arm talent, but like what, what are they playing against? You've got the quarterbacks like that are playing in smaller schools that are just dominating stats wise because they're just playing other shit competition. And then you've got the guys who are playing at the all-star schools against really good competition, but they're, you know, it's like Allen, you know, your team is just still so right. much that it's hard to get a gauge. It's just very difficult to evaluate quarterbacks. What are they going to grow into? How smart are they going to be? Are they going into a quarterback-friendly system a la Oklahoma where anyone with a pulse can put up some decent numbers there? You know, what do they develop like? It's just – it's tough. You know, 
the best quarterbacks in the country right now, I mean, yeah, Corral was highly rated, but it took the correct system and coaches to get it out of him. Bo Nix was dealing with Malzahn and Harson. now. If he was at Oklahoma or Ole Miss, would he look better? I think it's definitely possible. But then it's also like some guys just aren't that good. Brandon Harris was like a top 10 quarterback coming to LSU, and he was just not very good. You know, you see it all the time. You know, Alabama, they had four or five in a row. And like Max Brown, or I think he went to USC, but Bama had like four or five guys in a row before Tua who were five stars, four stars, whoever they were, you know, that just weren't that good at quarterbacks. It, it's tough to evaluate how they're going to, you know, develop and get into those systems. And it's just – it's tough. You, just, you never know. I mean, there's some guys where you're like, yeah, that kid's going to be a no-brainer. That doesn't happen with quarterback all the time, you know. You see all these LSU arguments about Arch, for instance. You know, they're like, well, we don't even need to get Arch because we've got Walker Howard, this five-star quarterback coming in. You know, he, Arch may never play. And for me, I'm like, have you seen Georgia? They have five stars every year, and half the guys aren't that good. You have no idea what's going to happen when these kids get on campus. You know, you just, you just never know. You just have to keep stockpiling the right ones, and eventually they'll hit. But it's such a difficult position. You know, you just don't know the mindset of the kids. You don't know the work ethic. And then you don't know how they'll develop. And it's just a kind of a crapshoot at the end of the day. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to that kind of stuff, even working in recruiting, you just really still don't ever know what you're going to get. For sure. I guess, like, when you talk – the whole cliche of the recruiting is an inexact science. It seems like that personifies itself in quarterback maybe more so than any other position on the field at times. The other thing I was going to ask recruiting-wise, I was kind of – I didn't remember anything about T.J. Finley because I was never a guy that followed recruiting incredibly closely unless I was tax, tasked with covering it. I always say this, but, like, I, I knew enough to do my job well, but I wasn't dialed in on a daily basis 18 months out or 12 months out on a given class. What was the, – the Finley thing was interesting to me. It was, like, kind of – like, he was a three-star kid. I mean, how the guy's 6'6", 250 is what he was listed at on 247. Again – you know, generally you get the idea. He's a big guy. You could kind of debate over what his actual measurables are fine. What, what do you remember about him in the recruiting process? Because it seemed like LSU all the way. He held some pretty strong offers, but the list wasn't overly extensive. And it seemed like it was like LSU and then Oregon. Like, what, did, what do you remember about him in the recruiting process? Because he's kind of a fascinating prospect. For TJ? Yeah. He, uh, he had a bunch of offers, but he wasn't a big camp guy. So you don't get to see him except for high school film. So, like, you know, people are probably offering, like, please come to campus so we can see what the hell we've got here, you know. And he was, I mean, a big, huge kid. I mean, he is a big, big kid with an absolute cannon. Truly, like, no exaggeration of the three years, three and a half years I worked there, no one had a stronger arm than this kid. It was effortless. He flicked it all over the place, playing for a very, very talented Ponchatoula team. They're, you know, they're 5A public school, Louisiana. They were playing real people, and his team has real dudes on there. Um, he pretty much was LSU once they offered all the way. Uh, I think there was a little – there was a little Auburn there for a while. Um, he entertained us for a little bit, but at that point, we were – Rich Rod was the offensive coordinator, and, you know, Finley can't really run. So it wasn't going to work. Yeah, it wasn't going to work. Um, it just didn't make any sense, but – yeah, he was a very – he's a highly rated kid, not a five-star, but not, you know, not unknown by any means. And they ended up uh, taking two that year with him and Johnson. And I guess they kind of just rolled with Johnson because he played well towards the end of the season. And 
I, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me because I think Finley has a much higher out, upside, and I guess we'll get to see it firsthand coming up here soon. But, you know, he, he was a really good player. I think he's developed into a fine player so far, but there's no guarantees with him by any means. You answered the next question I had for me was like, did you think that was a mistake going with Johnson over? It sounds like you, the answer to that is yes. Uh, I, I'm no, I'm not going to call it a mistake because mistake's probably too strong a word. But yeah, I mean, like, I think I think they did him a disservice by Ogeron chewing him out after getting their ass kicked, you know, on the road against a really good A and M team, as if that was T.J. Finley's fault, you know, like it was right. just a joke the way they handled him. Um, it, I, I don't think it was a mistake going with Johnson because I think he had a pretty good command of what they were doing last year, especially towards the end. But, I mean, it's just a weird dynamic. You know, he chose to leave, and I think he probably made a right decision, bet on himself, and was like, yeah, I'm going to go to the SEC, and I'm going to beat out this kid, and looks like he's about to do it. No doubt. Uh, real quick on the game, I know it's a weird game. I don't, I'm not going down the SEC officiating rabbit hole. We all know it is what it is. No, they're not hiring full-time officials. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yes, they're okay with just the way the product is in terms of the officiating being shitty because they're still making a shit ton of money. No one seems to care. Like, do you have any – I know you guys, like, I guess off the field is a little different, but, like, do you have any sort of hot take on the officiating aspect of things? No, it was not a catch. Yes, SEC officials stink. No, no one cares. Like, that to me is what it is. Like, it's always been. No one's going to care. It's not going to change anything because they're still making too much money to care. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the – correct thing to do is but the the refs in the sec are terrible i mean i I don't know if it's pay them full time i don't really know the dynamics behind how all that works but it's going to screw over some people especially in a year like this where like some teams are kind of coming out of the woodworks someone's going to get so screwed by one of these refs messing something up could be old miss could be arkansas kentucky florida someone that's kind of coming out like and their season is going to be ruined because of it and no one's going to care. And it's just, it's just keeps on going on and I don't have any hot take on it, but it's just gets worse and worse and worse. I mean, the Auburn game last year is a prime example. The same crew, by the way, it's that Mark Kroll's crew, the one that screwed Memphis, the one that screwed this up was the Ole Miss Auburn crew that missed that one last year. I mean, pardon my French, but like, what the fuck is going yeah, on? Like, <laughs> how's he still like, how are they still on games is my point. I, I didn't even know that. Honestly, I had no idea that was the case. But, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, that is insane. I mean, oh, it, I don't even know. I can't go much further on that. I don't think anyone cares on this podcast, but they, it's just embarrassing. Yeah, I agree. Is there anything from this game? You know, I, again, this was not one I got to watch a ton of. Anything that like stood out to you, changed your opinion about Auburn? Because I know we talked about that potentially outside of Alabama being Ole Miss's toughest game left, having to go there. The thing I was most, I would say, I was most concerned about from the little I, I saw from it was the way that Georgia State dominated the line of scrimmage on the defensive line against Auburn. That was kind of eye popping to me. I didn't think Auburn's offensive line was terrible by any means. They kind of made their name rushing the ball through a couple of games. Tank Bisbee didn't do much in this game, um, but he had like you know, 380 yards through three games or something coming into the year. Anything changed for you about Auburn? Do you think it's just a classic, you know, we got caught sleeping type of deal? I mean, I think there was a little caught sleeping, a little uh, little week of thinking about how we should have beat Penn State on the road. And that's tough. I and mean, that's, that's just reality, especially with the first-year coach. You know, there's going to have some weeks like that. I still don't see that as some old Miss guaranteed win, honestly. I think that team is still talented and – going on the road and winning there is something Ole Miss has not done with very much success, you know, in the past 15 years. So 
I don't think they're that good, as good as I thought they might have been. But that's still not a guaranteed win for Ole Miss by any means. That was really it in terms of compelling SEC results. We'll just kind of roll through these other games a couple quickly because I do want to get to some Ole Miss Alabama stuff. Good God, Vanderbilt is terrible. I think that's probably succinct there. Um, Missouri is so bad defensively. Doesn't it seem kind of locked in now? Well, actually not locked in. Honestly, kind of a hot take under like underrated race is who's going to finish second to last in the East? Because like South Carolina plays hard, but it's not overly talented. Missouri seems terrible defensively. We'll go Tennessee Florida first, though. Like I was actually impressed with the way Tennessee played for about two and a half quarters of this game. They just don't really, to me, have the horses. You were in disagreement about uh, them kind of going with Hendon Hooker over Joe Milton. I think Milton played a little bit in this game. I don't remember. I don't know why. I don't know if Hendon Hooker got hurt. Just takeaways at all from this game, if you saw it. I know you didn't watch as much of the night games, but just seemed like Florida out-talented them was the takeaway I had from this. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm still on the bandwagon that Heupel's a really good coach, and I think the first two quarters showed that. Guy was calling up a hell of a game. They just don't have the players. You know, like, they don't have the quarterbacks to make the throws. The line's not good. The receivers are average. You know, the, the running game is okay. I mean, he's calling all the, all the shots and all the plays, and the guys just can't make plays. I think once they get some guys in there, they're going to be just fine. But they ran to a really good Florida team that just out-athleted them at every position throughout the second half. And that's really my only takeaway. I, I, Hypo is still really good. That, that team – in a year or two, if they are patient, they are going to be a tough out. I truly believe that. And uh, I, Florida is just a better football team right now, and it showed. Kind of a vintage Mullen game in the sense that Emory Jones ended up being their leading rusher. I think he ran for 144 yards. You know, with all the talk of, you know, I, again, it, it's not even like a, a right-wrong thing of the Richardson kid behind him. Yeah, Emory Jones's last six quarters of football has been pretty good. You know, are they playing the right guy? I think that's still up for debate. But, you know, once things seemingly got a little, like, testy from his job, job security perspective, I don't think Mullen was ever going to play a freshman against Florida. This is not really his M.O. Or, excuse me, roll yeah. out a freshman against Alabama. Not really yeah. his M.O. But Emory Jones seems like he's played pretty good football over the last six, seven and a half quarters. Kind of vintage Mullen there. I didn't make much else of this game, mostly because I didn't watch a ton of it. I didn't watch a lot of Missouri um, Boston College. It was on the TV. I was trying to keep up with it, but that Missouri just seems terrible defensively. You know, if Ole Miss can, you kind of wish Ole Miss had them as the East opponent on the schedule. Although I don't like, who would you rather play, Tennessee or Ole Miss, or Tennessee or Missouri? That's probably a decent way to look at it. If you were well, right now, if you could make Ole Miss a schedule, would you rather go to Knoxville or would you rather go play at Missouri right now? Definitely play at Missouri. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm still biased. Maybe I just think Tennessee's better than what they've shown. But I hammered Boston College because that team is incredibly well coached and really underrated. They're 4-0. Um, I had their season win total over 7.5, too, because that team is actually like, that team's actually pretty good. Yeah, and if they didn't lose the quarterback, they like – I mean, I guess Clemson sucks. So, <laughs> I don't know, but – that they, if the quarterback had not gone down, that team might actually win the ACC. They, they really are talented. Missouri is just so bleh. Everything about them is so bleh. The quarterback is fine, but he's not electric. The defense is fine, but they're not talented. I would much rather go to Columbia than going to Knoxville, the whole Lane Kiffin storyline. You know, a team that's well-coached that just might not have the best players, but maybe they make the right throws and the right reads. You just never know. Uh, I think Tennessee's a better team than 
than Missouri. They're, Missouri looks so average. Yeah, it's almost like they might want some Barry Odom defense in their life right about now. I don't really know what to make of Drinkwitz. That's probably a conversation once we get a little bit more of a sample size. And um, another game that I guess happened per se, talk about an ugly dog fight. Is your opinion of Kentucky changing? Because I was kind of bullish on these guys going into, excuse me, going into the season. 16 to 10 against a really bad, untalented um, South Carolina team. My whole take on it after two games, after watching the, what's the quarterback's name? I always blank on it. Uh, the kid from Penn State. Now I'm just going completely blank on it. I watched him the first two games. I was like, shit, if they get competent quarterback play, like Kentucky could really be the second best team in the East. I don't know if my take on like them potentially being the second best team in the East has changed because I still believe in the roster, but I think I got a little over my skis and some people just like in general collectively about, about him playing quarterback because it's been pretty pedestrian the last couple of weeks. Well, first of all, good teams win, great teams cover, and Kentucky did that again. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm still happy with them. Um, I think I was also over my skis on this team. I don't think they're that ta- they're very good yet, but they're doing what they're supposed to do. They just win football games, you know, and that, at the end of the day, that's all you need to do. Um, I think they've been a little bit underwhelming com- comparing, you know, I thought they would be challenging, you know, Florida for second place in the East. I don't, I don't know if they would – match up very well with Florida right now. I think Florida would beat them pretty handily, but they're still winning games. And, you know, they're – we're a quarter way through the year. They are undefeated, right? They haven't lost Yeah, no, they're 4-0. And then I love Chris Rodriguez, the running back. I think he's awesome. He's a lot of fun to watch to me. But, yeah, Yeah. they're undefeated. Huge couple weeks for them coming up. Home game is against Florida and LSU back-to-back before road games at Georgia and State. So – you know, what we're talking about right now, we're about to find out, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, if they go in that four-game stretch, two and two, you know, maybe you beat LSU and you beat State, or, you know, maybe you lose to LSU but beat Florida. Like, they're not – their goal isn't to win the East because I don't think that's really realistic in Kentucky, at least with this current team and whatnot. But I think they can still have a very good season. You know, they, they just keep winning football games. It's crazy, but – Sometimes the momentum is real. Winning momentum is real. If they can just call a hell of a game against one of these teams, you never know. But they have not been as impressive as I expected them to be, just based off the roster preseason-wise. Uh, yes. So I'm all over the place today. Jody's the kid that started for South Carolina. This is, if, you, if we gave this podcast a grade in terms of my performance, we're going C-minus, but we still got some time to recover. <laughs> yeah. Will Levis is the yes, quarterback. Sorry. Yes, exactly. That I'm completely <laughs> blank on this. I'm, I have too many pages up statue wise. Will Levis is who I was talking about. Kentucky wise. watched the entire Missouri game. I knew exactly what I was just blanking on it. And then I blurred out the South Carolina quarterback's name. My take on South Carolina, what I was trying to get to here is, is it like, he's not going to win enough to get any sort of like recognition or consideration, but is it weird to say that like, Shane Beamer's doing a pretty good job. Like, I just look at the players they have, particularly a couple of the skill guys they have offensively, and I'm like, this team really, really sucks. And they've been competitive in pretty much every game so far, and I think they will be competitive against most average teams. They're just not very talented. I think think Shane Beamer has seemingly done pretty well through four games. They're two and two. You know, they've they've clearly gone with Doty. I think that the Zeb Nolan, the GA guy, did he get – Injured, and then they went with Doty, or is that just a straight benching? I think it was kind of a mix of both. Yeah. But 
they could be okay. I've kind of been impressed with Beamer because that I thought that team had potential to be horrendous, and they're not horrendous. So there's that for a compliment for them. They're they're definitely not good. Yeah, but they're no. not good, but they're not a disaster. Like they honestly, I kind of saw had some Vanderbilt-ish vibes. That's a whole nother level. But I thought there was a world where they could be terrible. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, they're definitely not good. But I'll give Beamer some credit. I think these guys play their ass off for them. They clearly like him, which is kind of interesting because the word around the street was no one really liked Beamer that all that much, especially at Oklahoma. Um, but, he, I mean, they are at least competitive. And East Carolina, I mean, I don't think that team is horrible by any means. They went on the road and beat them with a GA at quarterback. Does not get talked <laughs> about enough. This guy was a GA. I understand he was only one year out of playing college football. But that is still insane. I mean, he just he didn't even look like he was a college football player. I mean, he's so out of shape. I mean, they and they won a game with him, like a real football game. I mean, it's, it's there's got to be something you can take from that. I mean, once they get an actual quarterback there, uh, I mean, who knows what could happen. But, yeah, you got to give him a little bit of props. But I wouldn't give him too much because that team is still not good. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we're about to find out with Kentucky. And then the, just kind of the last thought on South Carolina – there's some potential there for them to right the ship a bit. They get a home game against Troy. I would assume they'd win that. And then you go on the road to Tennessee and home for A&M. Like, it wouldn't stun me if they win and won at Tennessee. And, my God, if they don't beat Vanderbilt, what a rock fight that game's going to be. Like, as bad as it's kind of seemed in terms of, like, the talent-wise, even though we talked about they, they play their ass off, they scheme well, like, there's a world you look up in their five and two. I wouldn't consider it likely. They'll get slaughtered down the stretch of anyone – outside of that road game at Missouri, but like they could end up being fine. So that was about it from the SEC. The last thing I wanted to get to before we did a little bit of Ole Miss Alabama was what a weird year in college football. So we think Clemson stinks. Ohio State beat the shit out of Akron, but they have like a dude that quit in the middle of the game. Oklahoma didn't look good. We're, we've talked about that 2007 year a couple of times. We're, if someone can pick off Alabama, if Alabama is actually human, and they didn't just kind of have a little bit of a scare against Florida in a hostile environment for the first time they've, anyone's played in one on that team in two years. We could be in for a weird year. I was about to, this is probably a good enough time to do the what do we know segment. What do you think we know in college football after four weeks? The first thing I had written down is, one, everyone's flawed. Two, Clemson's offense actually stinks. Three, Three of these conferences are wide open in terms of who's going to win them. I think the SEC might be the most, like, determined in terms of, like, who you think will be in the championship game and who will win it. That's what I had so far. What do you think we know so far? Take that wherever you want. I mean, I think the first thing we know is that the quarterback play, just all these preseason hype, it, they're all playing very, very bad. Except I for think, one guy. And he happens to be an option Mississippi. Right. And, I mean, that's why I think – I think it's been discussed with Chase and Neil here and there when I've listened. Um, like, what's it going to take if Ken Corral, if he puts up the right numbers, still win the Heisman if Ole Miss goes 9-3? and three? And my answer is absolutely yes. Dead on. Absolutely yes, Ken still win the Heisman if he puts up these numbers and Ole Miss ends up 9-3 and three or 10-2. and two. Like, that's – I think that is – there's no one else. Who else is even in com- competition right now? That's what I was going to throw back at you. Who who else is impressing you right now? I mean, yeah, you can still say Bryce Young. I mean, because he still has played incredibly well. It hasn't been overly impressive, but he's still playing well. I mean, some of the other guys, I mean, Rattler and Howell are done. 
absolutely done. They will not win it. Big DJ, they, I mean, I don't know if they're just not confident in him, but the way they're running that offense sure says they're not. So I, he's definitely done. He's not winning the Heisman, especially after losing North Carolina State. Um, besides that, I couldn't even think of one. I mean, Anthony Brown at Oregon, like, I guess he's been fine. The running back's been pretty good. I know he's up there. The running back for Michigan State, Walker, has been pretty damn good. But you really think they're going to give him the Heisman? They're not going to win 10 games. Um, the Ohio State quarterback, bad, has not been good. I really wish I would have watched that game because they played, I guess, Miller and McCord played. I, I didn't get to see a second of that. I'll have to go look at how that went. Um, I'm sure some Ole Miss fans were interested to see if Miller played for obvious reasons. I guess McCord, too, potentially. You never know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, one thing we know is that Corral can win the Heisman at this th- if they go 9-3. and three. Can absolutely do it. And the rest of the quarterbacks, someone's getting fired for drafting some of these guys. That's We also know that. Someone in the NFL is getting fired for drafting Howell or Rattler in the first round. Um, so – I mean, there's a lot going on this year. I mean, I'm sure you got some more notes on what we know, but that's my first thing that stood out, bad quarterback play. Yeah, you beat me to that one as well. The other thing I had written down is having something – the way I just wrote it down in these like crappy, crappily written notes were having something at quarterback is going to be a huge advantage going forward. And I think there's not a ton to add to that because I think you just outlined that perfectly. There's so many teams that have either had disappointing quarterback play or, you know – we're unknown coming into the season and it just hasn't panned out like at all. Like either the known commodity coming into the season has been completely disappointing. You know, a la Spencer Rattler, I'll, you know, Bo Nix keep going down the list. I haven't seen a ton of Sam Howell. So it's not fair to me just throw that in there that, you know, because they lost that he's been disappointing, but outside of like Desmond Ritter, the kid at Cincinnati and Corral, like. Yeah. I forgot about Ritter. Yeah. It's those those three. It's those, it's those three, and it's like other, outside of that, it's either been incredibly disappointing or just like it was unknown and the worst-case scenario has happened. So, yeah, the Heisman thing is interesting. I mean, even the – I hate to bring up, you know, Liberty and Hugh Freeze in this conversation, but Malik Willis didn't look great the other night on that Friday night game against the Syracuse team that I don't think is very good. So, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. But, yet, as a whole, we're in for a pretty weird year in college football – if someone can kind of pick, not kind of, if someone can pick off Alabama or if they can just kind of get battle tested in some of these games and not roll through it. Like, you know, when they got up 21-3 on Florida, it was like, oh, shit, like this is not going to be competitive again. Which, what did I describe this podcast last week about the Ole Miss-Alabama game? A win for Ole Miss would be a win for the people in terms of like the grand scheme of college football. Like, isn't that even kind of more true this week? If Ole Miss happens to win this game, and that's probably a good transition into it, yeah. What, what we don't, I mean, this whole what do we know segment, the entire segment could just be like, we don't know shit. I, though, in terms of the results and how this is going to play out, it's going to be awesome. And I think the sport needs a bit of it. And so that's probably a good way to go into this. What do you, what do you make of this matchup and what do you make of this game? The early line I saw came out at 17, dropped to like 14 and a half pretty quickly. I thought that was way too many points. Vegas are not idiots, but they also kind of had the Florida game at 15 points with Bama going on the road. So I still think the fact that Bama's played Mercer and Southern Miss has not skewed Vegas, but we don't know a lot about them yet. What do you make of this game? Just like, what are you most interested in as we head into this this week? I mean, it's just going to be about who can make stops 
I mean, yep. I don't know if you saw, but the opening total was 80. 80 oh points. God. 80 points. And you know who's definitely not stupid, like he just mentioned, is Vegas. You, they are not going to get their ass kicked on a total. If they think it's going to be 80, it might damn near be close to 80. Um, they're just not going to get smoked by something like that, especially at a game like this is high profile. Not going to happen. Um, it's it's going to be an offensive slugfest. It is. I think Ole Miss's defense, I think we'll finally know what how big the jump for them could be. And I think that'll probably be what everyone's focused on. I think people know what Alabama's defense is. It's always going to be talented and good. Maybe not elite, but it's going to be fine. Uh, you know, is Ole Miss's defense going to be in the same category as that? I think that's the biggest point of this whole game. There'll be other things that'll happen, but the defense, if they can come out and play as well as they have and like really kind of settle in and control what they can control, then you see a chance where Ole Miss could maybe win. You know, I don't, I don't know if they're going to win. I don't know if I'd even pick them to win, but I think they definitely can win. I'm, I think you described that perfectly, you know, as, as simplistic as it sounds, right? Like, I, I'm in the same boat. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily – well, I, I definitely wouldn't bank on it. But I think they can, and I think that kind of lends itself. I wrote about that in the newsletter this week. It's The thing about this game and the way it's changed expectation-wise is I would be shocked if it's not a competitive game that is kind of in doubt heading late into the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. And I think that's probably the biggest difference where, you know, no matter what Barrett Salee said, sorry that Barrett Salee has to catch a stray, but it's not the 2018 thing where Barrett Salee's like, Ole Miss is going to beat Alabama. It's like, dude, what are you watching? Like, have you seen anyone on Ole Miss play defense? Like, this is – you know, they'll always have that 14 seconds where Metcalf went down the sideline. They were up 17-0 or 7-0 or whatever it was. But yeah. it's not that. Like, I would be stunned if this game isn't competitive. And we've got more time this week, and I'll have a Bama guy on later in the week. But from what you've seen from them so far, and it's really two games, right? Like, I'm not going to go back and watch Mercer or Southern Miss. But against Florida and against Miami – the takeaways I have is, one, they're incredibly balanced. Two, Bryce Young has been quite efficient. He doesn't make mistakes. I think he has one pick on the year, 15 touchdowns, pretty good numbers uh, on the, in that ratio, but he did have a five-touchdown game. You know, I think at total, he's at like a 72% completion percentage. Again, all this is skewed because they've had played two cupcakes and one Miami team that I don't think is very good at all. And what, they basically had one competitive opponent. Yeah, we might have to talk about Miami here at the end of this. Yes, I'd love to because he uh, – so, but he's not pushing the ball down the field. 9.2 yards per, uh, I think, completion, which not – you know, that's not completely dink and dunk, like not Kirk Cousins uh, throwing it, you know, five yards on third and 15. But he's not shoving – pushing it down the field. Maybe he hasn't had to yet. They seem incredibly balanced. And the way you described this Alabama team last week to where – of course, look at the recruiting rankings the last half decade. Of course, they're going to have more talent than anyone they play. But it's not household names yet. It's not guys that are going to be first-round picks in this draft. And in some cases, the next one. Like, it's, it's younger in some aspects and some in, in experience. And I think that's what you've seen so far, which makes this fascinating. But they're very balanced. The Robinson kid seems to be getting the bulk of the carries at running back. Young's been pretty efficient. What do you make of this Alabama team from a personnel standpoint? I think we mentioned it a little bit last week where they're still incredibly talented, but they're kind of just a slight hair 
lower than they have been. And that's because uh, they lost the three receivers. Sorry, the three receivers, Mac Jones, who should have won the Heisman. I mean, they lost so many guys off that team that's been dominant the past two or three years that, like, even Alabama cannot restock to that level. You know, some teams lose to North Carolina State. Alabama, they don't do that. They're still going to be really, really damn good throughout all phases. But I think their defensive line, offensive line are just not as dominant as they have been in the past. Um, I think some of their DBs, you know, there's no certain out there. Job's still really good, but some of these guys aren't Landon Collins and certain and Fitz. I mean, some of the guys have had Minka Fitzpatrick in the past. Offensively, Robinson is more of a Mark Ingram-esque compared to like a Najee, or actually not Mark Ingram, more of like a TJ Yeldon-esque than a Derrick Henry or Najee where like he gets the job done really efficiently but is not – you know, the same level as some of the guys they have had. And then the receivers, you know, Jameson Williams, a deep ball threat is really good. Mechie is incredibly solid. Uh, JoJo Earl is the true freshman. That's going to be a hell of a player, but, you know, he's still a true freshman. And then you have Bryce Young, who is really, really good. There's no way to say he's not. He is really good. But he has been a little bit more tentative as of late. And I don't know what – uh, O'Brien is going to let him do against Ole Miss early. But if he gets going, it's, it could be a long night. Um, so, I don't know. They're, they're just a hair lower than they have been. And that's just still a compliment to how dominant they have been recently. Uh, yeah, you, you nailed it on that last part in particular. You know, I mentioned a second ago, it's like I, you've seen Brian Robinson get the bulk of the carries, which is very, like, crappy way to describe what I was talking about. What I was kind of getting at was through the two competitive games they played, it's been kind of interesting where – of course, Robinson seems to be kind of the feature back. Like, he's their number one option. But they've let the McClellan kid, and they've let Williams touch the ball some, and they've let Sanders. Like, you've seen a lot more of the – it's not the – like, you, to bring up your example, you remember when they had that run of running backs where it was like, it's Mark Ingram, and then right behind him it's what was it, Trent Richardson. I'm probably going to get the order wrong. And then it goes, you know, TJ Yell and then Derrick Henry to where it's like, this guy's going to get 80% of these carries, and then the kid that is a hoss behind him that we're going to be the feature back in a year – is going to get 15% of them. That's yeah. not really what's happened, which is, I guess, what I was trying to describe that, which is a very, like, crappy way to do so. It's a lot more by committee. I mean, you go down – I just go touches so far. Robinson, 37. McClellan, 34. Williams, 21. And even this uh, Sanders, the fourth guy, has gotten 20. Again, some of that's probably just – He's also a five-star, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind mean, of their running back room kind of – it underscores what they are right now. It's like they're incredibly talented, but it's a little bit more unproven. Um, the only thing I've noticed, though, like, like not to get too off in the weeds on them, like schematically or whatever, since they've had the three receivers go to the draft, and you knew Mechie was going to be a stud, and Jameson Williams is obviously very good, but they've supplemented that a little bit by getting the tight ends more involved. They have two tight ends that actually contribute a decent bit in the passing game, which you haven't seen that from Alabama in the past years, just because, I mean, look at the receiving court they had. Why in the world would you involve a tight end? Yeah, they weren't even on the field. It was like, <laughs> exactly. What, what, There's no need. Why, why are you out there? Like, what are you doing? You know, Najee can make the holes for himself. We don't need you. But, yeah, the Matu guy, is it Hatu, Matu, or something like that? Like, uh, Latu. Yeah, Latu. 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 Okay, I was close. Um, I mean, I've watched him a lot. He's been incredibly effective. I don't know if he's a game breaker by any means, but he's definitely an effective player. 
Um, so that's a, just a different wrinkle that you probably didn't even see last year. Um, so that adds a little bit more to the, you know, what Ole Miss is going to have to scheme up because you're probably not going to have as much five wide, four wide. You're going to have some guy, that guy in the nub, him and Billingsley um, are pretty, pretty talented, pretty tough and uh, not going to be an easy matchup, but I, I don't know. I mean, they're still, still Alabama. I mean, these guys are still going to be out there and they're going to be really, really good. Absolutely. So let's just make it the last thing kind of in closing in terms of just uh, talking Ole Miss and talking this scheme and all that, or talking this game and all of that, not this scheme. Um, what's the case for this game being more accurate to the opening Vegas line? To me, it's the fact that Ole Miss cannot stop the run and Alabama just kind of pounds them in sub- into submission uh, running the football because that's kind of a two-pronged thing and as basic of a football take as this is I think this is actually the way that Alabama is going to try to play this game to some degree when you're running the ball that well let's say they're getting six seven yards to carry you know featuring all three of those guys maybe adding in the fourth whatever it's also making Matt Corral stand with his helmet in his hand on the sideline instead of being on the field and I think that's the case to where Alabama kind of steamrolls this by, you know, 14, 17 points or whatever, and it's not as competitive as we thought, where the inverse of that, if Ole Miss is good at stopping the run, I would, I mean, if you're banking on a shootout, if Ole Miss is competitive in stopping the run, are you taking Bryce Young or are you taking Matt Corral? Because I know my answer. Yeah, I I have kind of a an interesting take on this. I'll give myself at least a little bit of props. I think this game will be decided by how well Ole Miss does on fourth down. I, I really do. I, I think they're going to be going for it on fourth down quite a lot. They've been pretty bad on third down, actually. That's like maybe the one flaw of this offense is third down. They've been very bad. I think they've been 75 to 80% on fourth down. If they can do that in this game, I'll, I'll say here they will win if they can go 80% Ooh. on fourth down. No, I mean, truly. I mean, because that's just impossible to stop a team for four straight plays going down the field as explosive as they are. But if they go – let's say like two for six or one for five or something like that, then I think it'll be more like a 17 to 20 point win for Alabama. Now I really think that it could end up being a game where how they do on fourth down will really affect the outcome. And then we don't know this, but Alabama was a little arrogant last year. They played a lot of man. I just don't see that happening again. I don't see them letting Ole Miss do what they want to do. I think you'll see a lot more drop eight, drop seven, get three-man, four-man rush, not a lot of blitzing. Uh, and I think it's going to be like, can Levy and Kiffin figure it out? Can Corral make the correct reads, you know, and do what does what he needs to do because they've, they've dealt with it so far. They've dealt with it well so far, but they're not going to see the guys with the speed and athleticism of Louisville compared to what Alabama is going to look like if they drop eight and whatnot. So I think those two things are really going to determine how well this game goes. It's a great point because it's so far so good, like you mentioned. But, again, this is going to be an entirely different beast. And I think you're exactly right. There's a lot of man last year. You know, it was arrogance in the sense that, Ole Miss, you know, they were so much more talented than Ole Miss was, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. It was kind of like, you know, you just play man and hope you win the matchups. I could not agree more. I think they're going to try to confuse Corral. And I don't think – you know, we talked about Corral's kind of unflappable nature. I don't think an early pick, if they do kind of get to him early and he makes a mistake – is going to phase him. I don't think he has the five interception, six interception game in him. I think that's kind of, you know, something he learned and grew from. But this is kind of the game when you talk about the Heisman hype and what you actually are as an elite college quarterback. 
you know, two interceptions could drastically affect the outcome of this game. Absolutely. Like the way Ole Miss wins this game is where out Corral plays a plus turn, you know, whatever. If he throws one pick, I get it. But like, he can't, like, I don't think Ole Miss is good enough to overcome him turning the ball over twice. Like, I think he has to be as sharp as he's ever been and kind of be, you know, a plus Matt Corral for Ole Miss to have a chance. And I think he's going to face a much tougher test from the Alabama perspective defensively than he did a year ago. Could not agree more with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that also, if you look at how Ole Miss has beaten Alabama in the past, I mean, Alabama's had terrible turnovers. I mean, they had five in 2015 when we Ole Miss won at Bama, and they had two kickoff fumbles in 14 that people just kind of forget about that Ole Miss converted off of. I mean, you have to win the turnover battle. If you think you can throw two picks against this team and win, you're probably not because you're just not going to out-athlete them. You have to win the turnover margin, the fourth down margin. You just have to win almost every phase if you're going to go on the road to beat this team. And I think if they can force a few, not throw a few, then they're going to have a much, much, much better chance. Agreed. Like this is kind of, you know, you talk about the, you know, Corral became the hot, uh, odds on Heisman favorite after last week, I think on most sites. Like I know it's early October, like it will quite literally be October 2nd, but man, you talk about like a Heisman moment. You know, if he has some sort of valiant effort, you know, there's a way Ole Miss could lose this game, right, where it's five, you know, Corral throws four touchdowns or whatever, and it's like, okay, this guy might have, you know, this guy might win the Heisman and have a very special season. I guess what I'm getting at, like, this is kind of a chance for him to actually make noise on a national stage because it's the first real opponent they've played. If he tears up at that Alabama defense, it's kind of like, okay, this guy's probably the best quarterback in the country. So I, I don't know. There's plenty of time to break down this game. We won't get too far off in it. But from an overall program perspective, because you were there towards the end, um, or towards the end, the end of Mount Luke, the beginning of Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Are you – like, if, if they go into this game, winning or losing aside, if they put up a competitive game, isn't that kind of a benchmark of, like, holy shit, they've turned this thing around fast? Because they didn't hear it a, t- in a terrible situation from a talent standpoint – but just from a sheer, like, program building, year two, four games in, if he goes into Tuscaloosa and either wins the game or puts up a fight where it's a one-score game, that's, like, nowhere close to where I thought Ole Miss would be a year and a half into Kiffin. How would you view this game if it's either close or Ole Miss wins the game in terms of how Kiffin has built this program that quickly? Like, do you think that changes from a national standpoint? How do you view it? I think it's a weird conversation because – I think this year has so many things that lined up that you got to win this game. I mean, if you're Kiffin, you have the odds on Heisman favorite as your quarterback and you're losing him. I mean, you just never know what happens in year three when you don't have him. And he's got to look at this game and the program like, Hey, this is our shot. You know, last year that was kind of a crazy ass game, but they were not really expecting to win that game. I can tell you because I was there. I was like, what are we looking at here? This, this game, like Kiffin and Levy, the whole crew, they have to be thinking we can and really need to win this game. We have to take advantage of everything that's happened this season. Clemson sucking, Ohio State looking bad, Oklahoma looking vulnerable, Alabama looking vulnerable. Like, what teams are really good? You know, Iowa looks terrible against a team that lost to Vanderbilt, you know? They have to be looking at the situation like, yeah, you know, we might be ahead of the schedule, but we got to take advantage of what we can. And this game is definitely one where you win this game, everything changes, not just from a program standpoint, but like a 
what can we actually do this year standpoint, you know? So they want to get to Atlanta. You want to go to the playoff. You want to do what you can at Ole Miss because it's an SEC program. You got to win this game. You know, even if you're close, if you barely beat them, I mean, you could go lose to Arkansas next week anyway. So you got to win. And I mean, they have to have that mindset going in for the future of the program and the now. Agree. And to kind of keep going back to this, the, the moment, you know, last year, he apparently I wasn't at the game clearly, but apparently like some Ole Miss fans were like clapping as they walked off the field after that loss. And Kiffin got a little irritated with that, where he's like, I appreciate like, you know, the gesture, but like we came here to win this shit. Like we didn't come here to be competitive. And I know coaches like have to say that, but he was very serious. And, you know, he's saying that with one of the worst defenses we've seen in the last half decade. Like now he kind of has a little bit more of the horses. And so I think you're exactly right. It's like, let's seize the moment here. And my God, I bet they wish this game was in Oxford just from a sheer scheduling standpoint. But I think you're right. Like it's, they need to kind of seize this opportunity, but at the same time, if they lose it, no one's going to, like, you know, no one's going to fault them for that, right? Like, it's, it's the definition of a free shot, right? It's a realistic yeah. free shot. You have the horses to pull this thing off, but if you don't, no one's going to blame you. So, I, I'm fascinated by this. I think if, you know, there's seven games every year in college football that kind of dictate the storyline of the college football season, this is absolutely one of them. This is going to kind of tell the story of this season. Because if Ole Miss gets blown out, it's like, shit, everyone sucks in Alabama's, as you know, Alabama again they're not as human to whereas Ole Miss wins this game or you know they lose in a tough fashion in a one score game late it's like anything could happen this year and if Ole Miss loses a close one it's not unrealistic they could win out and kind of be in that conversation late in the year in terms of a playoff spot I know that kind of sounds ridiculous to say four games in but I just think you're going to learn a lot about how this college football season is going to play out from this game so again more time to kind of break it down, and we will do that on this show throughout the week. But I just kind of want to get your general thoughts on how this was going to go. The last thing before we get out of here, it's the fastest-growing segment in <laughs> sports talk podcasting, sports talk radio. This is Soccer Corner presented by absolutely nobody. If someone has a soccer deal out there they want to sponsor, I'll fumble through an ad read. My girlfriend uh, actually overheard the podcast last week and was like, you don't get it. You have chosen a football podcast. You should call it Football Corner. And I was like, absolutely not. I appreciate the sentiment. But the <laughs> fact that I know nothing about soccer, nothing about football, uh, I need to call it soccer. Like, the, that's the most, like, arrogant American thing possible, right? If I called it football, it would give an indication that I have any idea what I'm talking about. English Premier League Corner is here. I'm going to let you lead it off this time. What's, uh, what's, what's happened in the EPL this week? What, do we have boots on the ground in England? What's going on in the EPL? Yeah, we'll go through some games. It was a very interesting week, and I guess you could say. So, I will start off with United. They're playing Aston Villa at home. They have not been playing well at all. They come out in this game and continue to just not play well. I mean, they just cannot, con cannot convert. They're playing selfish. Aston Villa scores in the 87th minute off a header on a corner. Three minutes later, foul in the box. Free kick, penalty kick. And United decides to give it to Bruno Fernandez, who is their guy that's been kicking penalties for them for the past two years. Really damn good at it. But they forgot that they have the greatest goal scorer in the world in Ronaldo. He doesn't take the penalty. Bruno goes up there and skies it 15 feet over the goal. And they end up losing 1-0 at home again. And it was just a horrible game overall against a pretty good team. But 
should not have been that close. It's just, it's just bad. And now they, this is they're just not playing very well. They have Atalanta at or Villarreal at home in the Champions League on Tuesday after they already lost their first Champions League game. A lot of pressure on Ole, who's the coach. I can barely pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try. But they're, they're in a little heap of hurt uh, coming off this week. The biggest game of the weekend was Chelsea-Man City. Two teams top of the league. Man City's won three out of the last five years. European champs, Chelsea versus English champs, City. And Chelsea got absolutely dominated in every facet of the game. They did not even record a shot on goal. City kind of had a crazy goal with uh, Gabriel Jesus kind of midway through the game. But it was a really bad look for Chelsea, who's pretty much dominated the competition so far this year in Europe and in England. Uh, so that was a weird result. Uh, today, Arsenal played Tottenham. It's the North London Derby. Uh, Derby is basically what they call rival rivalry games over there. And Arsenal got their ass kicked again. They are at the bottom, 20th of 20 in the table right now. And they really might not make it through. They really might not. They might get relegated. It's a long season, but they look really, really bad. And I guess kind of to finish it off, your Brentford Bees played Liverpool Saturday morning during the LSU game. I'm at the LSU alumni bar. Some LSU fan is like, please put on this Liverpool game. I, I've got to watch this. Out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching this game over here. 3-3 against Liverpool, who's as good as anyone in the league. Maybe the best, you know, three attacking players in the world. Brentford, the analytics came through. Guys were incredible. And they're still top 10 right now, I think. And now they're pulling off some really impressive victories. But uh, good, good showing by the Bees. It was a great week for us. And that's what I was going to get at first was <laughs> one. So I almost texted you. You texted me about something later in the week. And I, it's a classic like scatterbrain move where I had a text typed out. But I was like, oh, shit, I never sent this. But I was like, whatever, this is not that important. We talked about the lack of goal scoring last week amongst my Bees. I got on the boards, fired off some pretty sick threads. Uh, a lot of reaction going on on the Brentford Bees message boards. I was concerned about the lack of goal scoring. They scored eight goals in a midweek game or seven or something like that. I quickly came to found out that game was not a Premier League game. Uh, do, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They scored seven goals in a game, but apparently that doesn't count towards the standings that I have pulled up. What, what's the deal there? Did they just Was that a, like a Oh, Miss paying Austin P to come get the shit kicked out of him. What's going on there? Because I thought that would count towards our goal total. I was really no, upset. I'll explain. Yeah, I'm glad he brought that up. So I'll explain what that was. So while I was saying United was playing bad because they lost to West Ham on Wednesday, the same day Brentford played. So that was called the Carabao Cup. Okay. It is a interseason tournament that is played by the, all the teams in Europe, or not, sorry, not Europe, the teams in England. Um, all the top four divisions play in it. So Brentford, I think, because they're in the Premier League, get to start off in round three, whereas other teams have to qualify. Um, and Brentford beat some shit team that qualified 6-0. Very impressive. United lost out of the cup. So oh. on Tuesday, you'll see, Tuesday and Thursday, uh, Champions League we playing, which is another competition, as well as the Europa League, which is like the baby Champions League. It's kind of hard to explain if you haven't paid attention, but they, these guys, they play so many games. So you're like, what the hell is this game? It's, you got the English Premier League as well as the other domestic leagues, Germany, you know, Italy, Spain. 
you've got the individual cups between all of these, you know, European countries, leagues. Uh, they had the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup in England, which are both just all the teams in England are qualified and play for them throughout the season. And then you had the Champions League, which is all the teams in Europe qualify. If you finish the top of your league, you qualify for the Champions League. Those games resume again on Tuesday and Wednesday. And that's like the Super Bowl, the playoff to get to the Super Bowl in European soccer. That's the biggest game in the world. I've been to one. It's amazing. It's truly unlike anything else. It's the best competition internationally that you can find. And uh, it's all within their own domestic league play, if that makes any sense to you. I not do a great job explaining it, but there's basically there's a lot of things going on throughout a soccer season. It's hard to follow if you haven't paid attention for a while. Yeah, they play a lot more games than I thought. And I was just – I was really bummed that I didn't get to see the goal total go up on this ESPN thing. I have bookmarked because I was like, shit, I thought they scored seven goals in a game. How do they only have eight on the year? And I quickly found out that's one of those different cups. Are there any surprises going on in the English Premier League? Because the base level of knowledge about uh, – I have of English Premier League, and by that I mean I know some of these teams' names. Uh, is Liverpool being at the top a shocker, or are they a good club? I know they are a historic name club, but haven't they been down somewhat in the past? Is that a shocker that they're at the top of the league now? You mentioned they beat the shit out of Man City. Like, is that a shocker at all? Not a shocker. Not with the team they currently have. Uh, throughout, I guess, kind of our childhood, they were not as good as they have been. Uh, they're not the most financially uh, – they're not the biggest spenders in the league but they evaluate talent well and they pay the right guys. They are owned by John Henry who owns the Red Sox. So like, let's say his priorities are not exactly in England. You know, they're, they're in Red Sox with the Red Sox. Um, Them being at the top of the league is not a shock this year. Will they stay up there? I don't know about that, but not overly shocking. Um, Oh, Arsenal's in 10th place. Why did I think they were in 20th? I'm so off. Ignored the, my last statement. They're, they're top 10. They, they've won a few games in a row. I thought they were 20th. Tottenham tweeted out something weird. I was going to um, ask about that. So, we, I know Tottenham's supposed to be a good club, like disaster ratings-wise. We talked about Arsenal a lot. Is Tottenham not supposed to be better, or they just stink? What's the deal with that? Because I've, I've heard of them as like kind of top five-ish in the last half decade. Yeah, they've always had the players, but they are kind of, I guess you can give them a little Ole Miss-esque, is they just do not win trophies ever. In any of these competitions, and any of these cups, they just do not win trophies. I think they haven't won one since, like, in the 70s, I think. But they've been a top five, six pro, or club in the league for the past, like, ten years now. But they just, they just cannot win the trophies. They get to the finals. They got to a Champions League final, an FA Cup final, and they just lose. And that's just kind of what they are and what they have been. And they're pretty good this year. Um, and they'll probably end up finishing top six, which will get them in the Europe- European League or the Champions League. But they're not really competing to win the whole thing year in, year out. That makes sense. Yeah, it's funny you say that because when I did this, I did a bit like four or five years ago that never really stuck of like, I need to pick a soccer team. And someone was like, if you pick Tottenham, they're literally the old Miss of the Premier League. There's been a <laughs> lot of parallels drawn between that. So I am uh, – I. I it, Maybe that was a match made in heaven. Maybe I'm just thankful that I chose the bees and uh, got out of that sort of torturous relationship in terms of my sports fandom. So that was English really corner. Looks like we have a, a lot of games to go. I, I, I'm seeing on the schedule, these teams will be playing regular season games until May of 2022. 
So that's, that's certainly something to monitor there. So long season, like you mentioned, but uh, this has been Soccer Corner. And uh, I appreciate the time, dude. You got anything else to add? Uh, the Saints bounced back. I saw some people shouting out my, uh, my team, calling them shit after they lost to the Panthers. Came back and beat Bill, Chel- Bill Belichick's ass. Still had the best offensive line in the league. They're still one of the most talented teams in the league. I don't know if people know this, but in the NFL, if you are down nine players and five offensive coaches on a back-to-back road game, it's pretty fucking hard to win. I don't care who you are. So it, the NFL is not college, you know. It's, it's very, very different. These teams are all very, very good. Not, there's no panic. They came out today. Jameis still has not thrown for, like, over 200 yards, and we literally dominated Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And Again, we- I told you, I'm not a Saints fan, but I was very bullish on the Jameis Saints thing. I was like, this team's talented. They're going to be good. Obviously, you know, if they'd come out and, like, shit the bed this past week or whatever. Or, excuse then you're me, today, Yeah, I'd be like, okay, yeah. maybe the first week was a mirage. But now it seemed very evident in that game today, and I wasn't locked in because I was traveling on a plane for a lot of it. But it was like – that seemed very evident that last week was like, okay, one, you've had the displacement with Ida. Two, like you're down a bunch of coaches. Like clearly last week against Carolina was an anomaly in the sense that it was just not a great week. Like everyone throws stinkers in the NFL, right? That seems very clearly to be the anomaly – Again, I feel good about their chances of competing in the division. We'll see when they play Tampa twice. But, hell, I mean, Tampa loses today to the L.A. Rams. That pass defense looks very vulnerable. That's going to be a fascinating matchup. Very, I mean, very, I think they got a shot. Vulnerable. Yeah, I think we've got a shot. Tampa doesn't look like world beaters. Carolina, I think McCaffrey's hurt again. So, I mean, who knows what the ceiling of that team is. Um, they play well, though. They're, they're definitely not bad. The Rams look like a monster you know, Green Bay and San Francisco are playing right now, and looks like Green Bay is uh, kind of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers has had enough of the uh, the shit being tossed his way. So the <laughs> NFC is tough. I mean, the whole league is really tough. It's probably it's been the best it's been in a long time, honestly. I mean, there's a lot of really good teams and some really shitty teams. But uh, I'm very excited about where the Saints are right now. Finally getting to come home next week to play one of the shitty teams. So I'm sure it'll keep going. I know, like, so, like, Ole Miss doesn't play a game. I still keep you for two hours on the podcast, and we barely touch NFL and don't even hit the Ryder Cup at all. But I'm, I hope it was compelling content. I just kind of got off in the weeds. I thought there were some very fascinating results this week in college football. Yeah. We'll hit some more NFL. We may hit some Ryder Cup later in the week. But, uh, dude, I appreciate the time. As always, this was great stuff. We'll clearly talk about – because we talk on Sunday – if nothing else, about Ole Miss Alabama and what is probably going to be one of the more fascinating results of the year. I'm pumped, uh, but I appreciate the time, dude. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. See you later. And that was Weldon Rodenberg. That's our show for the day. I appreciate you making it to the end and getting through Soccer Corner, the uh, fastest-growing segment on earth. So there you have it. We'll be back on Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere around there. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the pod this week. I'm going to have the normal three shows, but I kind of want to sneak in something extra, whether that's Ryder Cup related. We've also got the Sanderson Farms this week. So stay tuned on that. I'm still not sure what I'm going to do. But anyway, we'll definitely have the three normal shows as we anticipate a huge, huge week with a big Ole Miss game coming up. So thanks for listening. Have a great start to your week.